Good morning. It is a Tuesday edition of GCR. I am Glenn. He is Griffin. All good over here. Grayson Rodriguez is the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. I guess it's a it's between him and uh, Jacob Webb anyway. Yeah. Two greatest pitchers in baseball history, obviously. He was great last night, man. Except for one swing. Boy, that was a bomb. But other than that, he was phenomenal. Seven innings. I guess they're not all that worried about his innings limit. No. Guess I mean, they're not. He was very Although, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. It didn't seem like they were pushing him at all. Although he did get into a little bit of trouble in the seventh, and you started to think to yourself, like, all right, go, go ahead. Go ahead, go get him. Not a problem. Not a problem. Boy, was he breathtaking. Now, Felix Batista decided to go ahead and do a little dance there in the – boy, I don't know what's going on there. Like, we convinced ourselves that what happened last week against Houston, we're like, oh, he's past that. Look how brilliant he was in Seattle. And then turns around and walks two guys just, ahead of Manny Machado. He likes to keep it interesting, you know? Sheesh. But the Orioles win 4-1. Obviously, the uh, home run from Ryan O'Hearn, who had been cooling just a bit of late. So it was nice to see that. And uh, then, of course, the big, big three-run triple from uh, Gunnar Henderson providing all of the offense. And Grayson Rodriguez dominant as the Orioles open up the series of the Padres with a 4-1 victory, guarantee that they will continue their streak of not being swept and now look to win another series on this West Coast swing as they send Jack Flaherty to the mound tonight. Coming up a little bit later on uh, in the program, we will uh, continue our 40th anniversary celebration of the Orioles' 1983 World Series title. We've been doing this every week, all summer. Disco Dan Ford will join us today. Of course, hit that big home run in Game 3 against Steve Carlton in the 1983 World Series. Uh, also going to get into a little bit of football. What we're not going to do, I, I swear to God, if you all know what was going on in the studio this morning... They'd be jealous, probably. Jesus Christ. I come in here today, and Griffin has our TV on, and I'm like, was there a soccer match I didn't know about? Was there – who? I don't even know who won the uh, World Cup. Uh, Spain won. Spain? Yes, okay, Spain, so Spain their first final, I believe. On to the World Cup final where they get the England-Australia winner uh, coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, I was like, is there a soccer match or something? Like, what, what do I not know about that's on the TV? The, the real football. No. No, that's that's definitely not real football. There's no question about that. Griffin has apparently the Ravens have some sort of like live cam yeah. of the joint practice with the Commanders. Oh, it's look at that. Roquan versus Brian Robinson. Stop it. Look at that. Stop it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to force you to turn it off in a minute. Okay. Um Roquan's blowing him up. We will talk some football this morning as uh, Seth Water from ESPN uh, one of their analytics guys, who's also very involved in their NFL coverage, Seth Walter, wrote a piece recently suggesting the Ravens should be in the market for one of the guys they're practicing against today, Chase Young. Which would be interesting as the Ravens continue to, you know, not sign a veteran edge rusher. They did add a, a corner, but not one of the ones that we were thinking. I don't even remember what the guy's name was. Uh, Houston uh, Carson, right? That yeah. Something. DeAndre Houston Carson. DeAndre Houston Carson, uh, former Lion, signed by the was Ravens. Was he a bear or a, or a lion? I thought I he thought was he a maybe lion. Maybe it was both. Maybe, maybe it was both. I thought I saw – hang on a second. Maybe I'm – oh, no, no, no. You know what? Maybe it was the Bears. I'm realizing I saw Tavon Young – gassing him up on Twitter, and uh, okay. I don't know why. I, maybe I confused him with Deshaun Elliott, 
who had gone to Detroit, but no, it was Chicago. Oh, William and Mary. Okay, he probably played a Towson at some point yeah. in his life. How about that? Now he's going to be a, a golden guy. <laughs> now that we know that. Um, but we'll talk to Seth Walter about that idea. Also, he was involved with this sort of like uh, conclave that ESPN did, diving into uh, quarterbacks that I was just looking at. He and Dan Orlovsky and Tim Hasselbeck and Matt Bowen kind of breaking down quarterback by quarterback uh, throughout the NFL. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well with Seth Walter. And uh, Evan Washburn, of course, part of the Ravens broadcast crew for the preseason, then part of CBS for the regular season. We will uh, check in with Evan Washburn to get his impressions of what he's seen from the Ravens from um, Saturday night and also from his time out in Owings Mills. So all that coming up on the program today. Today's show brought to you by Superbook Sports. Glenn Clark 23. Glenn Clark 23. G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K 23. It will save you from your sins. Well, actually what it'll do is it'll get you a First bet match up to $250, win or lose when you place your first bet with Superbook. Our newest partner and official partner of the Baltimore Orioles. We're so happy to have them on board. And again, Glenn Clark 23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K. Glenn Clark 23. That's the way to get in and take advantage of this offer. You'd be silly. You'd be foolish not to do that. Again, match your first bet, win or lose, up to 250 bucks with that code at Superbook.com or on the Superbook app. Not really that much more to say about last night. The only story, really, of the day was Aaron Hicks' return, although what's going on with him? I uh, don't believe they've – have they said anything yet? I'm not, not sure. Not great, though. He didn't look great on his final – well, yeah, he, he, and then he apparently he wasn't even in the dugout afterwards. Not ideal. We'll see if there is any update about Aaron Hicks. But Aaron Hicks returned, and the move was to send down Colton Kowser. And it's disappointing because you always want these guys to arrive, and then the, the guys that are heralded, you want to have arrive and then be so good that they stay here for forever. As a lot of people were pointing out yesterday, the guy that was pitching is a great example of someone who got here, it was a little bit too big for him, went back down, and was just fine for it. And you hope that that's what's going to happen with Colton Kowser. In no world am I writing him off as a top prospect. But I certainly think that like that conversation that we were having yesterday about Cedric Mullins and Jeremy Kahn sort of saying, I don't know, I don't know if I can be all that surprised if they move on from Cedric Mullins at some point. I think those two things, you measure them. Like, at some point, the question was, do you have to move on from Cedric Mullins because Colton Kowser has to be the guy? With follow-up questions being warranted, like, well, if you're moving on, or if Colton Kowser's got to be your center fielder, could maybe Cedric Mullins be your left fielder? And, you know, maybe Hayes is the guy that you move on from, who has not fallen apart the way they did a year ago, but for now a second straight year, is not backing up his early season form, is not proving to be that guy. I don't want to be dismissive of Austin Hayes or say he's not helped for anything along those lines, but it is it is part of his story. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that the little bit of time that we saw Colton Kowser proves that he's not your future center fielder. But maybe it does impact whether or not you are confident as a ba- as a franchise. If Mike Elias was confident that like I could use Cedric Mullins to go get 
the next two pieces that I needed. And slide in Colton Kowser as my center fielder next year and feel like I can go win a championship with that. Maybe he does have to second guess himself. Now, I would have never thought that way. Good baseball players, to me, at prime positions, are not guys that I throw away. I'm going to be writing, I did write my column that's going to, the one that I you know, had to make up for because the, oh, the by the way, uh, I, our guy Matt Torper did some research for me. Hang on a second about my Ramon Arias uh, conundrum. Said after hearing about Arias' shocking low, shockingly low outs above average, I dug into his fielding stat cast numbers. Apparently, the computers think his performance on balls hit in front of him has taken a big step back. That seems to be the main culprit. Also, not as quite not quite as good as going to his left. However, he only has half the attempts at third base as he had last year, so this could be all skewed by a smaller sample size. Baseball reference still gives him a positive defensive war and decent defensive runs saved, and his fielding percentage is up from last season, only two errors total. So he's still great at making the routine play and avoiding huge mishaps. It does seem like his ability to charge and make putouts on soft grounders and bunts has gone down, but maybe with more chances that would improve. I'm not going to read too much into it and definitely still trust Hyde's judgment and the eye test. To the point, and I said this to Matt, I'm absolutely not suggesting that Ramon Arias should not be playing. Not at all. This was just the context was I wanted to write basically a love letter to Ramon Arias, and those numbers stopped me in my tracks. I could not justify a love letter with those numbers, but it's not... Ramon Arias made some nice plays last night, right? Like, I still enjoy watching Ramon Arias play baseball. I just can't be dismissive of that and pretend like he's something that the numbers say he isn't. But in no world am I suggesting that Brandon Hyde should not put Ramon Arias on the field. And I I think that's a fair point about the sample size, because obviously they've had more guys they've tried to get playing time this year with a full season of Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg's arrival and Adam Frazier having been signed. Like They're just juggling a lot of things as far as trying to find playing time for Ramon Arias. All that being said, my column that will be coming today is sort of like my mea culpa for Ryan Mountcastle. It's the, and I wasn't even as bad as some of you guys were. Like, my thing was the, I could understand if they moved on from Ryan Mountcastle, or certainly if they had DFA'd him. I could, I think it might ultimately be inevitable that Ryan Mountcastle can't be a centerpiece of a championship caliber team. I, I wrote those things. No, I didn't write those things. I said those. I know I said those things. What I wrote was far softer than that. Like, what I wrote was just... Hang on, I can pull it up. The worst that I found that I had written about Ryan Mountcastle for Pressbox was not strong at all. It was, uh, the purpose of this column is not to denigrate Ryan Mountcastle, a quality baseball player and person. It is consider how Mountcastle fits within the Orioles' pursuit of building a World Series winner in the coming years. It is instead to consider whether a player with a career... 307 on base percentage can be a centerpiece player for a championship team. Which was a fair yeah, assessment. I, it's I not it wasn't a shot in any way. It was a fair assessment. And I didn't unlike some people who, you know, go to the extremes or just say things for the sake of saying them like Ryan Malcastle sucks or Ryan Malcastle whatever. I I don't ever do that. So I'm not that guy and yet still I felt the need to literally say the words I apologize Ryan Malcastle because clearly the, the thing where I was limiting him as a baseball player, I was not taking the vertigo seriously enough. And I think a lot of us were 
confused by the timeline because it felt like the Orioles had kind of decided to give Ryan Mountcastle a mental break, and then all of a sudden there was this vertigo thing. And I think a lot of us were like... Right, it, se- it seemed fishy. Like, yeah! You know, I think a lot of us were going through some of that. And you know what? On me. On me. I, I can say it. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. And it does complicate this conversation, right? right. Because... One of the things that I thought was maybe in a post-Ryan Mountcastle world, you've got world, you've got room for both Heston Kerstad and Anthony Santander. But now, if Heston Kerstad's coming, and that you don't, you're, you're kind of one short of spots. Again, short of making someone a full-time DH. And maybe that's what Heston Kerstad would be. At the moment, it would seem like one of Austin Hayes or Cedric Mullins, given their... It's just the odd. That they're elevated a little bit, and at some point, you're closer to a decision about having to pay them or move on from them. It would seem like one of them would be the guy to go. If it came down to that, I would probably say, as much as I like Austin Hayes, I would lean that way. I don't think it has to be that, though. And I'm never going to be in favor of... Solving problems that don't exist. I just wonder if the thing that we saw from Colton Kowser impacts that thought process in any way. Look, Colton Kowser could still be here before the season is over. He could still end up being an impact player in the playoffs. Hell, depending on what's going on with Aaron Hicks, Hicks, I mean, it could be very soon. And I don't think defensively we saw anything about Colton Kowser that makes us question whether or not he can play the outfield at the major league level. He just needs more. Right, and I think most of us believe that he gets some more time. He's going to be okay, and he's still a big part of these plans. But as we've said all along, the likelihood that all of these guys would pan out exactly the level that we expected them to, slim, not impossible, but slim. And this is 100% to me a burden hand situation. Like, I know exactly what Cedric Mullins is. I have no reason to think he's going to fall off the cliff before he's 34 right. years old. Especially it's, defensively. Right. Like, I'm not going to give him a 10-year extension. Well. I don't know. He's 28. But like, five years? Doesn't seem... That's getting you three extra years on top of the two years of control that he already has. That that takes you to when he's 33, 34 years old if you do it after the season is over. It's not like it's a Chris Davis contract. No. Like, you're not... Yes, correct. Um... I, I I, don't know. I don't know if the two things have anything to do with each other. But I do know that for a while we have talked definitively like Colton Kowser has to be your center fielder of the future. And I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. I just don't. That doesn't mean that I'm writing off Colton Kowser. It doesn't mean that he might not be in time. It might be that Colton Kowser proves to be so good in the coming years that you've got to let him play center field. But Cedric Mullins' arm... I don't know of more than one scenario where Cedric Mullins' arm was an issue for this team this season. His range is has so more than made yeah. up for it that I don't necessarily need to have somebody with a stronger arm in center field. I, I, I get it. If you're confident that Colton Kowser has Cedric Mullins' range and a better arm, I can understand the argument. I don't think that anybody has Cedric Mullins' range right now. 
and you but and, he, and it's not just like the defense like he would need to have well yes I, I understand that, that too that, that well but too. It, it, I'm talking about a scenario where Cedric Mullins simply moves to left oh, field okay. not a scenario where you're getting where you're, rid of okay. Cedric Mullins gotcha. I, I can't even I just can't fathom that at the moment like it's unfathomable to me that I that agree. that you would move <laughs> on from that player um again understanding that at some point you got to use what you have in order to get what you need but just can't do that We'll see. We'll see what happens there in Hicks, and we'll see what happens to Colton Cowser. I'm not down on Colton Cowser. This is not a – but at the moment, it was the right thing to do. Colton Cowser needs to play. He needs to be in swinging the bat every day. And right now, that's not something he can do at the major league level. So this kind of had to happen. In a way, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't the guy that went for Cedric on Friday. Like, honestly, I don't really know why they waited three more days for that. I don't think Ryan McKenna needs everyday at-bats. Unfortunately, Ryan McKenna isn't an everyday Major League Baseball player. But Colton Kowser probably will be. I would have been in favor of him getting more everyday at-bats. Maybe they just wanted to make sure that Cedric was good, you know, before they made the Kowser move. I don't know. But I would have probably done that first on Friday and then McKenna yesterday. But that's what they did, and I'm fine with it. Honestly, I'm, I'm completely fine with it. And the Grayson Rodriguez thing is, I mean, titillating. It's, it's, you're all, you get all flummoxed. You get all, uh, our guy, the pitching ninja, retweeted right. what he had said about Grayson Rodriguez, or what we had said he, he said, said about yes, Grayson yes. Rodriguez last week. <laughs> and I don't blame him. I mean, God. So very exciting. But, um, you know, it's still come. I, I still, every time I watch it, I'm like, but are we confident? Because if you have that guy in the postseason, then whew, he's but, able to mow down Soto, Machado. But, but like, am I confident that he's going to be available right. in the postseason? I don't know. I hope. I sure as hell hope so. Because God, that looks like a game changer. But am I confident? I don't. I don't know. I don't I don't know if there's, you know, again, they're using the six-man rotation right now. Do they think about outright skipping guys to use days off? They have a day off on Thursday. Do they at all consider that possibility with Grayson Rodriguez at some point? Or do they just is he so in the zone they say, "Dude, you just need to keep going out there every sixth or seventh day." I guess at this point with a six-man it's- rotation and a day off, he wouldn't pitch again already for a week. Mm-hmm. Like so it wouldn't have, be yeah. until you know, next week that he would pitch. I don't even know what what's their schedule next week. Do they have an, another off day on Monday by chance? I think they're back home. Yeah, I think I just, they are off Monday because they played Tuesday through Thursday. So yeah, he yeah. wouldn't be in line to pitch again until like Wednesday of next week. So there's certainly I don't think there's a chance that they're going to skip him. I don't think it's going to play out that way. Let me double check that I'm doing this math. It would right. be he would be lined up. For yeah, they they are off on Monday and they play on the Blue Jays. So. Yeah. There'd be one, two, three, four, five. I guess next six. Tuesday. No, next Wednesday. Because wow. the two days off. So they would need to get he'd be the sixth guy. One, two, three, four, five. No, you're right, Tuesday. You're right, Tuesday. Okay. He'd be the sixth guy. That's correct. Sorry, I'm I did the math wrong in my head. Tuesday is the day. So that'd be But I it'd still yeah. be eight days right. from when he pitched most recently. I was thinking that last night was Tuesday and today was I I did the whole that Skipping was in the week. Yep, I did just did a whole thing there. Um, but still, we're talking about it eight days between starts. They're obviously not going to skip him. Um, now, 
after that, they don't have an off day for a little while, so that's a different story. They're not going to be able to, to buy many more days. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. He has all of it. Go watch some of the overlays that our guy Rob Friedman, the Pitching Ninja, posted last night on Twitter. Whew. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Awesome performance from Grayson Rodriguez, who has been so very good, and it is hard to not get carried away and see that he is becoming the guy that we thought he was going to be. All right. Um, today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer. And by a Toyota.com, the Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. So let's switch gears a little bit. As we mentioned today, Ravens and Commanders practicing against each other. They'll do that for two days this week, and then they will get together for a preseason contest on Monday night. And it just so happens that our next guest thinks that these two teams should consider maybe making a deal before the season begins. He is uh, very much an analytics guy, amongst other things, at ESPN. He is Seth Walter, and he is with us now here on GCR. Seth, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. Sure. Good morning. How are you? I am all right. I'm intrigued by your idea. So Seth wrote about uh, potential trades the teams can make before the season. And I'm intrigued by this idea because, Seth, it's weird to me. The Ravens seem to have brought in, like, every veteran edge rusher for me. Some of them were on their roster a year ago, and they've just let those guys walk. Some of them they brought in for meetings, for workouts, whatever it is, and they've signed none of them. And I keep thinking to myself, like, they they appear to think this is a problem, and yet they're not really doing anything drastically to try to solve it. Do you think there's any chance that they are considering that maybe we're aiming too low and we need to aim a little bit higher with this issue before the season begins? I mean, it certainly looks on paper like, yeah, an area for potential improvement. So, yeah, I mean, the idea I threw out there was trading a three and a five for Chase Young from the commanders. And, to me, it's kind of like that feels like a Ravens move to me. It's like you're betting on uh, a player who is – you're betting low on a, on a player. Uh, I think there's – obviously, he has tremendous upside. Uh, and you're getting him in the last year of his deal. You can probably let him walk for a comp pick if, you, if it works out or if it doesn't work out. Uh, either way, you, you could do that or you could sign him to an extension. That just feels like, like a, a Ravens move to me to, to do that kind of thing and it addresses – a weakness. So when I was looking at trade partners for a potential young deal, which I do think makes sense given the commanders not picking up a fifth-year option, that's that's a pretty clear sign of what what they think. Uh, and to me, I thought the Ravens just just fit. I'm confused because I admittedly don't get to watch the commanders very much because let's be honest, they don't play very many meaningful football games. I'm confused as to what actually has happened with Chase Young, right? Like, I know that there's injuries there, but we all saw the guy in his rookie season that looked like everything that everybody thought he was going to be coming out of college. What has gone on with Chase Young? Why are we in this position where you're talking about the possibility of buying him low? Well, I think the injury is, is like, by far the the biggest factor here, right? He tore his ACL 
came back last year, he did not look good in the limited playing time that he had. And so, like, yeah, this is a player that we've thought of extremely highly by the league, uh, and, and obviously his stock has fallen. I think that the, the key number, though, to me, like everyone agrees that he had a great rookie season, right? You just said it. I think the key season to look at, though, is in 2021, when he had, I think it was just one and a half sacks that year. Uh, but our underlying numbers at that point suggest that he was still a very effective passer. Okay. He had 19% pass rush win rate at edge that year, which is above average uh, in, in the nine games that he played. And to me, I think that is, is the number that I would look at to say, okay, here's a guy that the season before, he was better as a rookie, don't get me wrong, 22.5%, that's like top 10 kind of levels as a rookie. But what I'm saying is, even though he had just one, one and a half sacks, he was still a, 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 an effective pass rusher in that second season. Like That gives me extra confidence to say, okay, before this injury, this is a guy that put together one and a half really strong seasons uh, for, for a player who's in his first one and a half years in the league. That's a guy I want to bet on, given the draft pedigree. And, yeah, he struggled last year, but he was coming right off the injury. Uh, a lot of guys need a little bit of recovery time before then. So I do think that upside remains with Chase Young, uh, considering all of that. All right, so let me ask it this way, Seth, because the, you bring up about what the data says – and he's still impactful. I feel like that's the argument that the Ravens have made about Adafi Owe, right? Like that he's, while you're not seeing it translate to sacks, he is, some of what he, the work he's doing allowed for, say, Justin Houston to get sacks a year ago. It, it, would it, I guess the, I get, my question would be, it, would it be the wrong way to go to get another guy who's impactful, but not the guy that we can be confident that can definitely be the one to get the quarterback on the ground at this point? Yeah, I think it's a good question, but I would not make that case about Adafi Owe. Okay. So last year, he had just a 13% pass rush win rate, so that's below average. Uh, compare that to Houston, who is up at 19%, which is kind of in that range, right right about where, where Young was in 2021, right? Short, well short of where he was in 2020. Um, and, and I'm saying that as like a compliment. Houston was 14th in pass rush win rate last season at edge, whereas Adafi Owe, 31st out of 49 qualifying pass rushers. Like, to me, I, I don't think that I would – there are players you put in that camp. Like, mm -hmm. I think it is a reasonable case to say that there are some guys who are better at getting disruption early in the pass rush, aren't as good at completing the stat, um, and that's fine. But we haven't seen that from OA. 13% this year, 11% uh, in 2021. Yeah. I don't see him as that guy. I'm uh, I'm probably inclined to agree with you. I'm I'm simply listening to the arguments that they have made and trying to pass them along. Seth Walter from ESPN is with <laughs> us. Seth, so when you say buy low, right? Like realistically, I, I guess there's a part of me that says, I I hear what you're saying with the Commanders, but couldn't they just feel the same way? Couldn't they just say like, let's see what he does this year. If it works out, maybe you know we, we go back to him and say, dude, we always loved you. We always wanted you around, right? There's still the option of the franchise tag if he has such a good season. And they say, or we can get the compensatory pick. I, I, I know that practically the rest of us can say, hey, we know the commanders are not going to be in this thing. They're playing Sam Howell as their quarterback. It's extraordinary. But they're not going to think that way, and there's new ownership there, and Hell, the NFC is wide open, right? Like, the seven teams have to make the playoffs. My God, who knows? Um, is there reason to actually believe they'd want to do this, or is there a cost that, that you would pay that would make them say, yeah, we definitely do it for that cost? I think that 
it's a fair question, and it may be, it, it absolutely could be that they say, we want to ride this out. We want to see what, what happens here. And you're right. They could franchise tag him. I think that there is a difference, though, in that, it, look, it's hard to afford, like, under, know a team's free agency plan the year out right. without being that team. But if you look at cap space for 2024, the commanders have almost $80 million in 2024 cap space. Like that says to me, this is a team that is going to be in free agency, new ownership. That means that they might not be getting a top pick back for Chase Young. And so if they're feeling like, hey, we're going to be big spenders next year, which seems reasonably likely, then why, why risk losing him for nothing if I'm saying you can get a three and a five for him right now, uh, which is more than you're going to get in, in terms of compensatory picks, and so I think that's fair. Like, I, I agree. Yes, you and I sit here and say it is easier for us to say, like, the commanders aren't winning the Super Bowl this right. year. So, like, well, why are you risking losing it for nothing? It is harder for them to come to that realization. But, like, I think it's also important for teams to be rational. The other factor is that they've already got – they've already put a lot of money into their defensive line. Sure. Like, they've already paid Deron Payne. Yeah. They've already paid Jonathan Allen. Montez Sweat is on his fifth-year option. Probably are gonna pay him. Probably, I don't. I don't know, but probably. Are you gonna pay all four of those guys? I doubt it. And so, uh, and so, it does make I think some sense for the Commanders. I'll say this: like I, I, I would want to bet on Chase Young at this moment. I am taking the cue from the Commanders not picking up his fifth-year option because that, to me, was a pretty, you know, pretty clear sign. And so that's what what made me think okay, maybe they would really want to deal him at this point because they, they could have had him under control for 2024, and they chose not to. So let me ask it the flip side way. Is it definitively worth giving up multiple picks for a player in the Lamar Jackson contract era at the time where we say these picks are so much more valuable? I, it, it, Seth, this is a – I got to – let me give you background. This is a tough thing for us to talk about in Baltimore – because it's so easy in the rest of the country to say, hey, the, like 10 years ago what doomed the Ravens was Joe Flacco's contract, when those of us that were here said, no, it wasn't Joe Flacco's contract. It was that the Ravens dra- had the worst stretch of drafting they've ever had in their history for the years that just happened to be right around Joe Flacco's contract, and they couldn't make up for it. So I, I guess the question is, can you spend, can you take a risk and spend multiple picks on a player like this in an era where you know you've got a lot of money locked up into one player as far as your cap is concerned. I think you can. I mean, we're talking about a three and a five, which is, by the way, the price that uh, the Dante Fowler trade, but he was kind of in a similar situation a few years ago, highly drafted player, uh, you know, had, didn't, had, didn't totally pan out, goes for a three and a five entering uh, his fourth season. I think you can because you're talking about an elite upside at a position of weakness, he costs you nothing against the cap right now, like nothing. Um, and so I think it's one, I think it would cost the Ravens $1 million. So uh, to me, yes, I think you can when you're shooting for that kind of, when you're shooting for that kind of like realistic upside, um, which, which is like very feasible to me. Uh, so I think it's worth it. A three and a five, I, I would do that. Um, now I got to ask you about this quarterback council that you guys did, right? Uh, I, I I thought it was really fascinating, and I don't really have a, a strong. I, I'm sure like a lot of people are are picking you apart today. Was there anything that on the when you got when you saw the final numbers and how everybody uh, else rated these quarterbacks? 
Was there anything that most bothered you and said, oh, no, 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 we really got this one wrong? Ooh, great question. You know, it's, uh, I'm looking, let me, let me, I'll, I'll stay up while I stall here and think about this because I think it is an interesting, it's an interesting exercise, but I do think what does happen is like, it's like a reverse wisdom of the crowd thing where, where I do worry sometimes where it's like, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't have conviction, you end up defaulting to guys who are, um, you know, just the best quarterbacks in the sure, league. Sure. So they end up, they end up sort of like, getting pushed up because there's a whole bunch of us that vote on this and that's great. You know, I would say like one that really shocked me and I don't know if it's, it's, yeah, I will say like the way this, <laughs> I made, I did my votes on this, like, I don't know, two months ago. So I, I don't remember exactly, what, but we had Joe Burrow at number two in pocket presence. And I just couldn't believe that. Um, I mean, this is a guy who has gotten like a lot better in this area, but his, he takes sacks, taking sacks is a weakness for him. And like Joe Burrow is great at many things, but, but quarterbacks are not, always good at, at at everything and so i do think like that's a good example of like he's not that great at pocket presence in the sense that he takes a lot of sacks a lot more sacks than than he probably should i think the one like yeah like another good example like that was probably like patrick mahomes and accuracy um mahomes is amazing at just about everything mm-hmm. he's not one of the three he's not one of the three most accurate quarterbacks like by basically every measure we know that he, you know, that we know that he's not, and uh, he does get pushed up like that. So that does surprise me. Like he probably was like ninth or tenth. He was probably like tenth, I think, on my list, if I recall. Um, so that's one. Like I think, I think sometimes these superstars get pushed up on these lists, uh, and I do. I actually love looking at the guys who received at least one vote, who didn't make the top ten. Sometimes there are some interesting nuggets in there. But but you know what? We get stuff. You know, I think it's also notable then, like when a Geno Smith. He just comes in fifth in accuracy, and I think that's that's notable because it feels right to me. That's right about where that's right about where I have him, and it also shows like that you have like wow, a big group of people. We all voted, and we all came to the same conclusion really that Geno Smith was like a very accurate quarterback because I think he really was last year. Uh, I think it's fair. I think that's totally fair. Um, all right, and this is a good question that came in from Chris, so I want to give it to you before I let you go, Seth. Um, if they're sure. not going to trade for Chase Young. Are there any of the guys that are left out there, including these guys they brought in, the Van Noys, the Clownies, that on the numbers that you have, the data that you've got in front of you would say you think that this person might still have a little bit more to offer and could be more helpful and maybe shouldn't still be sitting out there on the beach at this point in the summer? Yeah, I think that there are two names. So Jadevian Clowney is one that the win rate's always like, remember you described a guy that can uh, disrupt the passer, but then... Uh, but then doesn't finish the sack. I think Cloudy is, is often that guy. So he's one, but I think Melvin Ingram. I mean, uh, Melvin Ingram to me is a player that could absolutely be a contributor. Uh, his passers win rate last year was, I think, 19%. So good, you know, good. I, I'm, I like, to me, he's still got it. So uh, I would say, oh, even better than that. I'm sorry. Like, he was. Uh, yeah, he was pretty solid last year. Yeah, Melvin Ingram, I think, would be – I am like, he's, he is up there in age. But I think, I think that all indications are from last season that he's still an effective pass rusher. Uh, he's 34, but 
he's still doing it. I would I would look at Melvin Ingram for sure. All right. I mean, I I I certainly given what they have, I they need they need something. They need something. I'm intrigued by Chase Young. At Seth Walter on the website formerly known as Twitter. Seth, is there anything else we can plug for you? Uh, no, I just, uh, you know what? We did a, we did a YouTube video of our receiver tracking metrics. We put it out last week. I, I posted on Twitter a few times. Uh, go check it out. I'm really, I'm really pleased how it came out. It shows our, our, the way that we started quantifying receivers' ability to get open. Uh, I think it's a really fun metric we launched last year, and I think it's really informative for wide receivers. Cool. I'm going to go check that out right now. I'm fascinated by it. Seth, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for spending a couple of minutes with us this morning. Sure, thank you. Seth Walter from ESPN with us here on GCR. Um, I'm intrigued by the Chase Young thing. I don't want to get, I don't want to work, we're, we're delving into a hypothetical. This is sure, s- simply a suggestion and, hey, read the tea leaves. There's a chance to think that maybe something like this could be possible. But I, I, I can hear all the arguments for why it could make sense. So. Third and fifth is a real price, but I I get it. The argument is that like you're getting something back, so it's not if you don't sign him. At that point, either you feel so good about Chase Young that you're like, yeah, that was worth the third and the fifth, or it was really, you know, split the difference. Let's say you get a fourth-round compensatory pick back. It was really like you gave up a fourth in order to get him for a year, and that's not an unwieldy cost. I don't know. I'm intrigued. I we agree that something something's got to give here. All right, when we come back in, uh, we'll continue to talk a little Ravens. Evan Washburn, part of the Ravens broadcast team, and of course CBS International Sideline Sex Symbol. He joins us next at Glenn Clark Radio. You feel that? That's the sound of football coming back, and now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you can use my promo code, GlennClark23, to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code GlennClark23, all one word, no spaces, two N's in Glenn. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and that promo code GlennClark23. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It's the return of Grateful Dead Night on Friday the 18th. A special t-shirt package is available. Back-to-back fireworks carry on to Saturday the 19th with our Bates Overfest. Get some beer specials while you enjoy the game. And get here early on Sunday for a pre-game meet-the-team autograph session. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox. Let us be your nine-inning vacation. I'm Michael Jan Grandy, president of A.J. Michaels, your carrier energy expert for 44 years. Save money, energy, and make your home more comfortable and virus-free. Find us at AJMichaels.com. That's AJMichaels.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. 
Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food, check. Quality of service, check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. America's biggest bike race returns to Maryland Sunday, September 3rd as 120 of the world's best cyclists race the Maryland Cycling Classic presented by United Healthcare. Come enjoy the free fan zones and festival with interactives, food, and drink beginning at noon. Then see the exciting race conclusion from 3 to 5 p.m. in the Inner Harbor. Come be loud, be proud, and let the world hear you. For more information, go to MarylandCyclingClassic.us. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressbox online, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grinder. Wait, did I say Grinder? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know it's on Grinder or anything. I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. If you missed it last night, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, and John T. Bone Shelby got together. Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Click on the videos tab. Go to YouTube.com slash Pressbox Online or PressboxOnline.com slash video in order to see it. Again, Stan, Ross, John Shelby, 1983 World Series champion Baltimore Orioles all together last night for a great show talking baseball, talking the 40th anniversary. You can find it in those locations, facebook.com slash pressboxsports, youtube.com slash pressboxonline, or pressboxonline.com slash video. Let's continue some Ravens conversation this morning. Joining us now, part of the Ravens broadcast team and, of course, part of CBS's NFL coverage he is our friend and the best-looking sideline reporter in all of sports. He is Mr. Evan Washburn, and he is back with us now here on GCR. Evan, what's going on, brother? Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, great to be with you, Glenn. Been a little while. Hope all is well. Everything is good here. Same to you and your family, my friend. Um, I, look, man, you know how I feel about this. You can't get me to read into a preseason game. So tell me something that you saw on Saturday night that you say, hey, man, I thought this was at least interesting, worth filing away, could matter in some capacity for the Baltimore Ravens. Ooh, that's tricky. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of just I'm interested to watch David Ajabo play. And I think there were flashes of, of good and then things that he would want back, but just comes from getting back into the swing of things. I know he got a little bit of action last year, but this is his first full healthy offseason, and he comes in with a lot of internal expectations and external expectations. And you match him with Owe and what they could be moving forward if things go well. So kind of watching him in what was extended action, I think uh, was probably top of my list. Outside of that, to your point, it's kind of tough to make any sort of 
strong opinions or judgments, and uh, that's kind of preseason, especially in Baltimore where they don't play anybody. No doubt. Evan, I feel like what you just alluded to is something that we've been talking a lot about, and we were actually just talking. Seth Wilder from ESPN had written a piece suggesting the Ravens should be trying to poke around on trading for Chase Young. I I'm in, I'm interested in how many of these guys the Ravens have brought in. Like they're clearly acknowledging that there's you want to call it a depth issue, whatever you want to call it at edge rush, but they haven't signed any of them yet. So it seems like they they think they need to address this problem, but it hasn't been addressed. I it, I don't know. I'm in a, a rough place. I think that they need to give David Ajabo the shot to prove that he's the guy that everybody believed was a first round talent, but. Boy, you are you are putting a lot of hopes at the moment on a duo of David Ajabo and Adafi Owe, who have not to this point either of them proved that they're capable of being exceptional NFL pass rushers. Yeah, but they haven't really been given the opportunity to prove it. So I, I think it's, it's short sighted to say, and then it's like, what are we doing? Why do we draft guys high if we're not going to actually let them get an extended look at that position? And then like Ty Bowers, but Ty Bowser uh, will eventually come back. You would hope. Um, so he's part of that mix. I think, look, it, it, it's part of they're a prisoner of their recent moves where they have brought in veteran pass rushers, whether it was Jason Pierre-Paul, obviously Houston for a couple of years. Um, and so the idea that they would do that again is not off the, the radar. But to me, it just feels like they've kind of built to this spot where it goes, all right, we've invested a lot of draft equity into these two players. One is now healthy. We're going to have to have some growing pains based off of the fact of their limited NFL experience, but it could pay massive dividends if they do what we expect them to do. And then we didn't not only waste the equity on them, but then had to overspend to bring in even a guy of Chase Young's pedigree. No, I understand. Look, I, you know, somebody would say it's a sink or swim type of thing, but I get it. Like, and especially as you move into the Lamar Jackson contract era, these draft picks become all the more critical. You've got to hit on these guys. What? Did we lose Evan? I think we might have lost Evan. I apologize. We'll try to get him back. Evan Washburn from CBS. Don't know what was going on there, but we'll try to uh, chase him back down. No pun intended as we we're talking about Chase Young. And I, I am. I do. I mean this. I, 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 to an extent, I agree. Like I understand. And I have said all along that one of the things that's jumped out at me is it's just seemed like the Ravens have wanted to get younger, maybe faster, up front not just at edge rush, but also based on what they've done along the defensive line. Like, they they let Calais Campbell, Justin Houston have walked, and they've replaced them with nothing. And again, I'm not, I don't think any of us are as concerned about the defensive line because we think highly of, you know, Broderick Washington and Matt Abike and Travis Jones. So I don't think we have nearly as much concern, although they did lose a lot of leadership in Calais Campbell. But it, it has just come off like they wanted to get younger at those positions they got to find out exactly what they have in those spots. Um, Evan Washburn back with us here on GCR. And, and, and I do, I get it, Evan. And I'm. it's funny because I feel like I've walked this line of like, it, particularly now that Lamar Jackson has his contract, in the coming years, you're going to almost be forced to get younger. Like you can't just constantly be chasing mm-hmm. money. You're going to have to count on, you made a draft pick, you believe that guy's the guy, you know, but it's a chicken and the egg conversation. You want it to be that way, but at the same time, you know, it, it is still kind of scary when to go into a season and to have such an unknown at such a significant position. And because it just hasn't been the case for a long time. Right. I mean, look, they haven't really necessarily replaced a, a guy like Terrell Suggs, but they've had name brand players at at least one edge for the last few years. So that gives comfort to a fan base, a media core, and maybe to coaches. 
Um, but I, I think you're, you're spot on. And look, if something were to drop into their lap, I don't think Eric Costa would ignore it just to be like stubborn on his draft picks. But it doesn't seem to me in the time listening to coaches, even as recent as last week, as we got ready for that preseason game, talk about those two players that they have any uh, concern um, going into this thing. Uh, what about at cornerback, uh, Evan? Because I feel like that was, <laughs> again. That is concerning. Right, okay, right. Like I feel like that's the one where you say, Boy, there's Marlon Humphrey, and then there's what? And I get it. Marlon Humphrey's very good, but, boy, I, I I don't know how you address it because the guys that are out there are out there for a reason. But, I, I, man, it's hard to look at that group and not feel like you're putting yourself in a really tough spot where that could ultimately end up dooming you at some point. Yeah, and, and look, they, obviously they got Rock Yassin. He's been banged up. I think that's where you're already getting an early look and, and – John was open about that, even I think at his press conference last week, where, yeah, it's concerning because they don't necessarily view it as they have a lack of depth, but right now they just have a lack of guys playing because they're all kind of nicked up with little things. And you would hope that they would get through those and they're all available, but it's a window into what it could look like in week seven when if a couple guys go down, that that thin cornerback position that's kind of always is. Uh, a fear of teams is a reality. And so how that's addressed at this point, uh, to your point, because there's just not a lot of good options out there, um, is, is hard to kind of lay out. So I think the hope is guys get healthy. Yeah. Uh, they're the best version of themselves. And you just cross your fingers that they don't get banged up over the course of the season. But that's that's hard to that's hard to bet on, and then you think about what you're going up against over the course of the year in Cincinnati, and and obviously any team like a Kansas City, or if you're playing somebody in the AFC East in a playoff game, you want to have some you want to have some guys out on the outside and in the nickel, uh, and and right now there's a lot of question marks. Uh, Evan, I have a theory, and I get that they could never come out and outright address this or answer it directly. No one would ever be able to do that. But I've had this theory that. And watching the fact that they didn't replace a Marcus Peters or a Calais Campbell or a Justin Houston this offseason, and yet what they did on the other side of the ball, that what they're kind of outwardly saying is, hey, in this Lamar Jackson contract era, the defensive issues that you're concerned with, our answer is we think we need to do more offensively. Like That's really how we're trying to address those defensive problems that you have is we think we should be able to score more points and we're going to need to score some more points. And I get it. They can never – they're never going to say they have lesser expectations for their defense, and they certainly did give $20 million a year to Roquan Smith, who was very good. But do you think it's possible that like, they've just shifted a little bit? Not to say they want to be the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf for all offense, no defense, but that the burden of how they're going to win is going to have to fall a little bit more to the other side of the ball. Makes a lot of sense. And, and the model's out there, and it, it's hard to, to match this because what they've done over the last few years is special, and they have a special player, but some would believe. And I think in times, Lamar's been that player. Kansas City's defense is, lives in the middle of the pack. Right. They are at times, you know, between 15 and 20 in total defense and points allowed and all those key categories. And the marching orders for that group is obviously be impactful as best you can, but just don't lose us games. And you don't have to be the 2000 Ravens, but we need you to be 
a, a group that we can count on to, again, not lose those games and make some plays when you can. But you look at their personnel, obviously they have Chris Jones and they've had Tyron Matthew in the past, but they don't, they're not littered with pro bowlers, especially in their secondary. Um, in their corner position is, is guys that have rotated in and out over the last few years. So, but it all puts that pressure on Mahomes and Andy Reid and that offense, and they've always been up to the task. So I think that's a that's a version you could see, and I'm sure uh, fans would love to see because it's exciting and it's entertaining. I mean, to me, they are a bit of a unicorn in that way, though, because I think of Buffalo. I'm thinking of other explosive right, offenses, right. and they've they've actually been matched with some pretty good defenses, even in Cincinnati, uh, in Buffalo, and in some of the better teams, at least in the AFC. Um, that I can think of. And to your point, I don't think anybody's expecting that this defense is going to be bad. And I also think that Kansas City is a unique comparison because they've been a team in recent years that has drafted someone and said, yeah, and now we immediately have expectations for you. Like, you have to go live up to it. And they kind of got by last year because their draft picks were pretty good and stepped Mm -hmm. on the field and played pretty quickly and made an impact. And they were able to do just enough defensively because of it. And what we were talking about with David Ajabo and Dafe Owe, that that might be the model of, hey, we kind of don't have a choice. If we draft you, you got to go out there and play. We can't sit around and wait to figure it out. You, we got to throw you out there and make sure that you do it. And, I, and look, I, it's kind of where we started with it. I, I, I'm optimistic because I just think you, you think for Owe in year three, his limited just football experience in general, he seems like a guy that that, that has a comfort with, playing football at this level so when the natural gifts match the the sort of mental confidence and command of what you're supposed to do at the position and the investment the organization's made and the pass rush specialist at at, at the coaching position Mm -hmm. like a true edge rush coach and then Ajabo uh just I mean the, the words used about him in camp have been violent and all the things you want for that position. I just think there are going to be growing pains because specific to him, it's, it's, it's a lot of new in terms of workload. Uh, Evan, as far as the offense is concerned, obviously uh, there's so much conversation about the wide receiver, you you know, as well as anyone that it's been very rare that there has been this level of investment at that position in the history of this franchise. Should we just assume that this is, you know, a perfect group of receivers to put on the field together should we still have a little bit of questions of like, hey, you know, what exactly is Odell Beckham at this point? How quickly can Zay Flowers adapt to this? Like, how confident should we be in this group that is unlike most groups the Ravens have ever put together in their history? I mean, I would say excitement level should be at an all-time high for all the reasons you laid out where it's, it, it, all the pieces are there. My concern would be just, the idea that you're going to hit the ground running with mm-hmm. so many new pieces is naive. And I, I, I temper whenever I talk, I mean, like you, you're always talking to folks out and about and, you know, family, friends, all those things. Like, oh, how, you know, how great is this offense going to be? It's like, well, it could be great in week six, week seven. Like, I, I, I mean, the idea that out of the gate, it's going to be everything you want it to be to me is, is a challenge because as much as it's, new wide receivers and uh, it's a new play caller. It's a new offense. It's a lot of new for everybody. And the, and the one thing I feel confident about, you know, watching this league and doing what we do over the last 10 years now, it's just continuity and chemistry is, is king. And if you don't have it and you can't rush it, 
it's time on task, it's reps, it's doing it in live action where you can face the unexpected. Uh, all those things can't be born in training camp as much as they're going to be uh, felt in, again, the first few weeks of the season. So yeah. that's not to say it's going to be a disaster out of the gate by any means, but I just think the what everyone hopes it can be, fireworks and big plays and um, e- explosive offense, I think that is probably more um, of a kind of wait and see. Yeah, week two game at Cincinnati is going to be a hell of a test. Or, um, you know, exactly well, where... that's, that, that's the rub, though, is you can't – just the way it's stacked up in their division yeah. and in the AFC as a whole, not that you ever want to get off to a slow start, but to me it's just it's like you, you got you to gotta stay – above <laughs> I do. above water as long as you can because if you if you start drowning early there's just the math doesn't help you I feel in terms like, of good teams I feel like I've given this question to everyone that I've talked to this summer which is this is a murderer's row to your point like it, it's oh, funny it's wild. funny of course this would be the year that like CBS has to share the uh, AFC a little bit more right with Fox but I would say that that seemed to be more of a blur I mean that 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 while I'm doing an NFC game in week three, like yeah. we still are loaded with AFC. AFC. I did. I did not, notice it's not like all of a sudden yeah. we're doing Cowboys, uh, Commanders, uh, and <laughs> I think the natural rivalries will still exist. It would appear pretty, pretty good first two weeks for your crew. I did see you at Cincinnati, Cleveland, and then Kansas City, Jacksonville. Not a bad start yeah. for your crew to the season. But to your point, like what you're saying is this: this conference is so loaded that if you were to slow start a, a little bit you might put yourself in a really bad spot because it's not going to be easy to overtake the, the, the absurd number of good teams with unbelievable quarterbacks that exist in the AFC at the moment. It's wild. And, and, and the teams know it, and most importantly or most interestingly, the quarterbacks know it. I go on that, that t- training camp tour every yeah. year and hit about 10 teams that were our crew will most likely see multiple times. And it was talking to one notable quarterback and we were just kind of catching up before doing an interview. And, and I was asking him some version of, of what we're talking about. And he made the point and it, it's obvious, but to hear it from him was, and he kind of said it in that like concerning way where he goes, yeah, there's going to be one or two really good quarterbacks that aren't making the playoffs. Right. And that's not normal. Like the, the top tier, however you want to describe it, quarterbacks usually at least make it in. Um, and, it's because that's how we judge him. And it's a big indictment on you as a quarterback if you don't make the playoffs. And it was a realization that I'm sure they're all having. And I know this one has, is, man, it, there's going to be one or two of us that aren't getting in. And that's just based off of there's not enough seats at the table. Correct. The sheer math don't work. At Evan Washburn on Twitter is how you follow him. Uh, what's what's the week look like for you? I know that you guys aren't doing the Ravens game on Monday night, yeah. but I'm sure you got a hundred other things that you got to do instead. <laughs> well, a uh, couple couple free days here, and then I'm actually heading. I'll head up to New York. I, I fill in for Adam Shine on his weekly or his nightly show uh, when he wants to take some vacay. So I'll do that Wednesday through Friday this week, and uh, yeah, enjoy some of these last free weekends before. Uh, we kind of get into the, the routine of it all. But it's exciting to be back, man. I mean, I'm sure for you, just talking every day. Um, you know, it's having, been, it's been weird, though. That, bro, you say that. This has been the summer where, like, I'm totally behind because we've actually, like, talking about baseball. Oh, yeah, the Orioles. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've never been I'm more behind. I'm actually going to my first Orioles game. In a, next wait, week, wait, 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 for... wait, wait. Dude, how long have you lived here? No, not first, like, in oh, general. Okay. I mean, first. I'm, in, yeah, that would have been I'm like, what the hell? Bad. 
<laughs> I'd get kicked out. Uh, no, but I haven't probably been since I was helping run around with uh, Deuce and Brent wow. for Orioles game wow. back in, you know, 10 man. years ago. It's probably been a healthy 10 uh, since I've been to a game. That's wild, so. man. That's wild. It's been a hell of a yeah. summer, so it'll be cool. Uh, be fam- fun. Family good? Everything good? Yeah, no, it's been great. It's been great. Hudson awesome. seven, and uh, he'll be going to his first Orioles game. As oh, it's cool, man, dude. Uh, so that'll be great. Mine are eight and six, and I took him to the superhero day earlier this season that they did. Ooh, that's cool. And bro, it was the wildest moment ever because they were like, they they announced, hey, and now you can go meet the Black Panther in center field. And my six year old's like, all right, let's go. And I look at my eight year old. I said, all right, buddy, you want to go? He said, no, I want to stay here and watch the game. And I was wow. like, whoa, what a moment this is. Like, uh, sounds like a is, future talk show host. Uh, I, I hope better for him. <laughs> I so hope better for him and the path I've had. Love you, brother. Appreciate uh, you, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, on, dude. always. Yeah, talk to you later. Evan Washburn from CBS with us here on GCR. Appreciate him doing that. Um, Man, well, this is exciting. There is a, uh, uh, a what, what do I have in my hot little hands right here? That looks like a new print issue of Pressbox that I have in my hands. Wow. That's awesome. And as we promised, as you heard Stan and I talking about on Friday's show with Bo Smolka, you see that uh, coming up, the next print issue of Pressbox, the cover story is all about Lamar Jackson. You see how far Lamar and sort of the post-contract era that we now enter into with Lamar Jackson and Bo dives into the expectations and what it's going to take for Lamar Jackson to move forward as that guy. So I'm looking forward to this. I got to be honest with you. Normally I've had the entire issue before it hits stands. Nobody sent it to me. (laughs) No one did. fresh off the press. Yeah, I'll I'll be reading a lot of this myself, but I'll look forward to diving into Bo's cover story. Um, a lot of college football content in this uh, print issue of Pressbox as well as we meet uh, players from uh, the teams across the state of Maryland. It'll be available probably not quite yet because literally it was just brought to me. So we're in the in-between of the Tony Saragusa issue, which is going, and this one, which is coming. By tomorrow, you'll be able to find it everywhere. So this print issue of Pressbox, brand new. Lamar Jackson on the cover. You can read more at PressBoxOnline.com. Go pick it up right now. All right. Well, I said right now. If it's available right now. But by tomorrow for sure. We come back in. Uh, a few topics I want to get into today. I do want to talk about the Michael Orr situation. The irony of the Michael Orr situation. And also, I want to play uh, AITA, which you may know from Reddit, is Am I the A-Hole? Am I that? Well, with you, the answer is always. Well, I don't think so. Not in this case. Okay. But we'll, I'll, I'll allow you to share your opinion about it, Griffin, and see if I can't get a, a neutral. I, I do worry that you feel like you have to say a certain thing, but we'll see it as neutral <laughs> as you're capable of being given the circumstances. Okay. So all things I want to cover. Also, Disco Dan Ford joins us in the second hour of the show. It's all coming up on GCR. Catch that festival feeling in Charm City. Everywhere you go, you'll find exciting entertainment, delicious eats, and endless summertime fun. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards, pick crabs by the waterfront, beat the heat inside a world-class museum, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. It's game on every day at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Here, you are in on every play with 100-foot screens at Sports & Social, the best table games action, and FanDuel Sports 
sportsbook all just steps away. The best bar bites and drinks to indulge in steaks and curated cocktails. Your game day only gets better when matched up with Live's distinguished dining options. Late game? No problem. Our luxury hotel awaits. Live Casino and Hotel Maryland is the place to be on game day and every day. For more information, visit www.maryland.livecasinohotel.com. At Arundel Mills, must be 21, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. All electronic tolling is here to stay in Maryland, and driveeasymd.com helps you cruise a little easier. We're Maryland's tolling resource, home to EasyPass, pay-by-play, and video tolling. It's never been easier to pay your way. driveeasymd.com will keep you moving. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley Bob, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It's the return of Grateful Dead Night on Friday the 18th. A special t-shirt package is available. Back-to-back fireworks carry on to Saturday the 19th with our Bates Overfest. Get some beer specials while you enjoy the game. And get here early on Sunday for a pre-game Meet the Team autograph session. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox. Let us be your nine-inning vacation. That first sip. That first bite mm. starts your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Orioles on the Immaculate Grid today. Uh... I don't want to give anything away, yeah. so I won't say anything. I pulled a 0.3%. That was good. Yeah. My Oriole Ranger was a 1%er. That was my low number. Uh-huh. I didn't have anything below 1% today, unfortunately. Did not go below 1%. But whatever. Life goes on. That's that's what it is. Somebody here? John Somebody? was just standing in the, like, the doorway. <laughs> just like... St- hey, just hey, pal. How are you? Well, I, we were just we spent ten, five minutes on that just a minute ago. We were just talking about it. All right. Very good. John Colson's here. Uh, All right, so let me cover a couple of things really quickly. First of all, um, just horrendous news about Alex Collins passing. I I don't even know what to say. It's just awful, truly awful. Um, Alex Collins, of course, had the one big season in Baltimore in 2017. Uh, I, 
I didn't know Alex Collins particularly well. I think I had a couple of conversations with him when he was here. Enjoyed him. Was a very nice guy. Was clearly a talented back. He. I remember I had pitched him the idea of writing something about the famous story of his mother. Um, like, oh. his Her reaction to him committing to Arkansas. It was like she was trying to prevent him from doing it. It was a whole... It was a whole thing, and I'm trying to remember exactly how it, it was like. She had to sign the the letter of intent because when you're a minor, like mm. I guess your parents have to sign it too, and she literally ran away with it because she wanted him to go to Miami and didn't want him to go out to Arkansas. So when when the Ravens signed Alex Collins, I was like, wasn't that the guy with the LOI thing? And I was I pitched the idea, and he just didn't. He was like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like, everything's fine. But I just kind of don't want to revisit that at this point in my life. And I was like, that's fine. I'm not, you know, I'm certainly fine with that. Um, Everybody knows about the Irish dancing. Um, I think that somebody shared a video I had forgotten about. Like, there was a boy that was apparently bullied because he was so into Irish dancing. And Alex Collins took the time to go meet this young man and spend time with him, which I think was really wonderful. Um, You know, there was... Unfortunately, he was involved in a car crash and was arrested. And the Ravens decided to let him go after he had been suspended. And like nothing that was terribly significant, nothing that you would say this this would would impact in any way the stories um, that I had been told about what a good guy he was. It's just a just unthinkably sad. I mean, truly unthinkably sad. He was attempting to come back to football after being out of the NFL. He had played in the USFL this season. Just awful. Just a a truly atrocious, awful story. And his 2017 season was very good. I mean, it's a shame because that was a team that, you know, pre-Lamar Jackson was just, just, just not quite good enough. Um but safe home, obviously, and and thoughts to everybody that knew Alice Collins, who was, in my interactions, a good guy. I don't want to pretend like I knew him well. Philip Walls, who runs LGC Marketing, knew him really well and was was telling a lot of stories about Alex Collins last night um, and some really wonderful things about him. I I wish I had known him better, but just just unfathomable to lose someone at, that, at the age of 28. Just truly unfathomable. So... Um, Thoughts to Alex Collins and the people that knew and loved him. The story that yesterday kind of shook the internet and was really mind-blowing in a different way, obviously, in a far less important way than someone losing their life, was this Michael Orr story, and that Michael Orr is suing the Tui family. And it's a complicated story because I think anyone that was around Michael Orr during his time in Baltimore knew there was no ambiguity about how he felt about that film. There was no, like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like He had zero interest in it. He wanted no association with it. He, I I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't want to say he despised it. I don't want to say anything like that. But I would tell you that all of us that, you know, Michael Orr did my show a ton of times. And I would talk to him in the locker room, and he would actually get really angry because he would be ribbed about it by teammates. He 
did not want to be the blindside guy. And I think a lot of us understood that, like, hey, you know, you want to carve out your own path. You don't just want to be associated with this this movie. But he explained from time to time some of the things that bothered him about it, right? And some of it was the Hollywoodization of the film. Like, you can't be mad at, I think it was Disney who made that film. You can't be mad at them because they were trying to present a good story. But the absurdity of suggesting that the Sandra Bullock character, Leanne Tui, taught Michael Orr how to play football is badass. Like, it's it's utter nonsensical. And other elements, like his relationship with his birth mother, n- simply weren't true. And when he wrote his book, I had, I had read, um, you know, Michael Lewis's book, which was about the story, but really about the left tackle position and... It's why the movie opens up with that scene of uh, Joe Theismann having his leg broken by Lawrence Taylor because he references that in this book and about the left tackle position and the importance of it. Um, So, you know, I had kind of known some of these things that maybe didn't line up with what was presented in the movie, but I understood. And when I would talk about the movie, I would say, look, this is a movie. We got we this is on us. It's like when somebody gets bothered by like, hey, you know, the thing about Captain Phillips is like. You know, some people say it didn't really happen that way, and you're like, right, it's a movie. It's not a documentary. The other side of it, though, the what I would say, however, is that Michael Orr n- never wavered in how he felt about the Tui family when he was here. There was never anything that suggested they were anything other than some sort of unit, whatever you want to call that. And famously, uh, Sean Tuey Jr., the little the little boy from the film, he came to work at Loyola. Like, came, I want to say was on the basketball roster at Loyola. Um, if I remember correctly, I gotta, I'm pretty sure he was. Like, to be here and to be closer and to be more of a unit. And, like, that part of it never, as uh, his frustration towards the movie... And what that was never crossed into a conversation that you would have about the Tuies with him. He 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 truly loved the Tuies and was appreciative of them. As was kind of made clear in the CSBN story about the lawsuit yesterday, that has changed recently. And I think it was later confirmed, um, like Sean Tuies seen the the father of the family gave a statement to TMZ and was like, I noticed that this started to become contentious like a year, a year and a half ago. So that's more recent. Now, admittedly, I'm going to guess that when this week I dive into this book that I was sent, When Your Back's Against the Wall, the second book that Michael Orr has written, I assume that some of that will be covered in this book. And I'm going to read it this week because we are scheduled to be joined in studio by Michael Orr next Monday. Which timing-wise is kind of wild. We had I had a conversation with his publicist, and you know she had said, "Hey, Michael's going to be in town on the twenty-first. Would you want him to stop by the studio?" And I had actually, being the team player that I am, coordinated that he's going to stop by and see Jeremy first, and then come over here right afterwards. So, in hindsight, maybe I regret that and say we got to go back and redo that order. Hopefully, Jeremy doesn't say anything. Yeah, right. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Um. Just me being a nice guy, me being a team player, the whole thing. I was like, yeah, you know, we all like Michael. I'm sure it's a neat story. Like, we'll we'll talk to him about it, and uh, and then as it turns out, it's a significant news story. And 
like an idiot, I'm letting Jeremy have it for <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. What am I doing? But ours will be better. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, I'll be diving into the book this week, and I'll try to get as much information as possible. It it certainly doesn't sound bad. I think a lot of us always felt like a just a tinge of like, eh, there's something hinky about all this. Right. And and funny, like that's part of what the book and and the movie were about was like the NCAA, the way they were looking at all of this. Like, yeah, really, you you adopted this kid, and now you're trying to point him to the your alma mater, the place that you donate a lot of money to. That seems kind of weird. But in the world that we understand now about how effed up college sports were, like none of us really blink blinks an eye if Michael Orr stood to benefit from that relationship and the trade-off was that he had to go to Ole Miss like if Michael yeah. Orr felt like he benefited I don't give a rat's ass I, I who cares what you're doing in order to try to get a kid to go to a school like if if the the young man the, the, the athlete benefits from it like I you're just not going to get me to care or think that they're that it, it's problematic within the rules and that was one of the storylines that was discussed in the book and the movie was the awkwardness with the NCAA. But the situation was always odd. And the situation, I, I remember talking about this in light of the St. Francis thing with Biff Pogey, where there would be people that would try to prevent, present Biff Pogey as some sort of like hero figure. And I was never comfortable with that. Like, no. Biff Pogey wants to win football games. He's not spending his money to send you know, cellists to St. Francis. He's not spending his money to send community organizers to St. Francis. He's spending his money to try to get the best possible football players that he can because he wants to win football. And that's his right. I want to make it abundantly clear. This is not me trying to be negative towards Biff Pogey. He has the money. He can do whatever he wants to do with the money. Uh, He's now going to try to go win at Charlotte. The idea of him being some sort of like hero figure because of how much money he was spend to give the spending to give these kids an opportunity to go to a place like St. Francis that they would have otherwise never had, it was because they were good at football. Or he thought they would be good at football. Like that's the reason. And he was the football coach. He wanted to win. That's not hard. It's not there's, there's nothing heroic about that. It's you know, Whatever the rules are, that's what he was doing. Eventually, the MIAA said, well, you know, we're not, we think that should be beside the rule. And that's a conversation for a different day. But, like, I would say the same thing, that the positioning of the twoies as being some sort of heroic figures is complicated by the fact that, like, their kids went to this school in a place where they cared deeply about high school football and that they also had interest in him going to Ole Miss, it doesn't mean that I don't know that the Tuies ever did good things for Michael Orr. Again, that Michael Orr didn't benefit from the relationship, but it was always complicated. And it, it, you know, the Green Book is another one that's talked about, like this idea of the white savior of the the person that's the actual talent or artist or figure of relevance has always been hanky. And I never knew exactly how to feel about this. This element of it doesn't seem great now. You know, Sean Tuey Sr. says this was this is not true. We really didn't make any money off the blind side. We didn't prevent Michael got as much of a cut as the rest of us got. 
the conservatorship was because legally I wasn't allowed to adopt him, and if he wants out, then I'm happy. Like, it's a complicated story that I hope, again, I'll get more answers from reading this book or from when Michael Orr is scheduled to come in and sit down next to us next Monday to talk about it because it is a complicated story. And I do think that there can be gray area involved with this. But I've never thought of the Tuies as being heroic in any sort of way. That doesn't make them evil. Like, there's, there's a giant gap between those two things. And it, it might be that the truth is that they were trying to be good people. They just might have screwed it up. Or they might have been opportunistic it's somewhere right. in there. But I don't think it's evil or heroes. I think it's somewhere between those things. And I'll, you know, look forward to reading more about it. It's obviously, a, you know, we yeah. all watched the movie. We all were invested in Michael Orr. And, you know, for better or for worse, he did... Like, the left tackle thing never worked out for Michael Orr, but when Michael Orr played right tackle, not only was he the starting right tackle for a team that won the Super Bowl, but he played well at right tackle. Just, unfortunately, never played at a high level at left tackle, um, which is why, ultimately, the Ravens were were willing to to let him move on in his career, and he ended up down in Carolina. Um, but he was a, a good football player. And I just I think we judged him unfairly, one, because he was a pop culture figure, and two, because the expectation was that he was going to be a high-level left tackle, and he just never became that. Bizarre story, though, man. Just crazy, crazy story. Um, and hopefully we'll get more. And again, Michael Orr is scheduled to join us next Monday morning in the 10 a.m. hour. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit this morning and remind you that all season long we've been celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Baltimore Orioles' 1983 World Series championship, and we've had a wonderful time catching up with the heroes of that team. It was obviously great to see them all back here in Baltimore a couple weekends ago as the Orioles swept the Mets. It was a very emotional scene for all of us that were there. Our next guest... This man enjoyed listening to some uh, Parliament and Funkadelic before games. This man hit a hell of a home run in Game 3 of the 1983 World Series off of Steve Carlton. He also, early in the season, hit a pretty important home run to break up a no-hitter in a game that the Orioles won against the White Sox. He is the great disco Dan Ford, and he is with us now here on GCR. Dan, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's so great to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time for us. Uh, great to be here this morning. Good to talk to you. Dan, I, I think I need to get it out of the way first. Are you still years later listening to Parliament and Funkadelic at all times? Like, Would, would people <laughs> still refer to you as Disco Dan Ford, e- even if you had never been baseball player Disco Dan Ford? No, no, not really. Uh, and I, it's always been, a, I guess, a fan of music, and uh, friends of mine always had uh, that interest also, and, and it's it's always good and yes, loosen up some days on a good sound. Uh, you, when you arrived in Baltimore, you had not been through what um, you know the guys that were here in '79 had been through. When you got here, did you did you have a feeling? Did you say, "Man, look around"? Like you know, this Murray guy looks pretty good. This Ripken kid showing some. Did you know then? I'm gonna be able to win a World Series here. Well, you know, when you speak of 79, I was with the Angels when they played us and they beat us in the playoffs. So, True. yes, I, I, I looked at that club and, 
you know, and we only won one game. And I remember the game that we lost when we had a number of runs and they still came back to beat us. And the pitching staff has always been a great pitching staff. You've always had a tradition of winning. So um, when I got traded to the Orioles, of course, that was one reason that I went there and, and I was chosen by, you know, Earl Weaver. Um, obviously, you know, we, we referenced this team and I, there's so many personalities, so many guys. And I think one of the biggest things that was brought up about this team was how many outfielders that this team had. Um, did you, did you ever look around at all and just say like, wow, how are all of these guys on this team at once? Well, I, I, when I uh, was acquired to come to the Orioles, I, that was one of my concerns and, yeah. and, Ken Singleton was out to play in right field too, and and like that. So I said, "Well, um, you're going to be you're going to be the right fielder." That's what Earl told me, and therefore that's what helped make a decision to come to the Orioles. And you know, being platooned out there and left with Reinicke and and Lowenstein, I mean, you put those numbers together. If that was one player, they had a hell of a year, and with the two, so that just made two guys have a hell of a year. And the other guys that really pitched in and came along and played, and that's what it took for us to win. You had a hell of a year that in 83, too, Dan, obviously. A, a very good season for you. After 82, which I'm going to guess in, in your mind was a little bit of a disappointment, what was different in 83? Like, what allowed you to be the guy that we had seen during your time in, in Anaheim and in Minnesota? I believe... Um, from coming from Anaheim, you know, as far as being at home there, I'm from California, so that really helped and loosened me up and kept um, me, I guess, at the, the peak of my career. Um, making that move to Baltimore, uh, to the East, a different division. And when I got there, they were saying, we played baseball a little different here. I said, how can you play baseball different here? We played nine innings, we played between <laughs> the lines, three, stri- three strikes you out. No, no, we, we play we play to win and, and we play, you know, percentages and things of that nature. Many of Yada used to talk to me about that quite a bit and it took me I guess that whole year to really understand exactly what he really meant. So eighty two was a pressure year, it's an adjustment year, plus playing for Earl Weaver was a little hard and I had you know, and, and, and that's what really put a lot of pressure on me. So eighty three made it a little easier for us to adjustment and I had to really think about what was the difference as far as my play compared to um, uh, 83 season, which was the results. The effort was still there as far as me working hard on both years. It's just the results that came out to be different. And it helped by me, I guess, switching from hitting fifth behind Eddie Murray, which is a big shoes to follow. And 82, 83, I hit second. So I hit in front of Eddie in front of Cal, and that made things a little easier, too. Yeah, they're not going to give you quite as many pitches when they know that those guys, like, they're going to have to try to go after you, and you're going to be able to take the opportunity. Dan Ford is with us here on GCR, celebrating the 40th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles World Series Championship. Dan, I've never asked you this question before. Uh, Your stance was pretty unique um, as far as batting stances go. Where did it come from? Why did it work for you? Oh, boy. I, I think it was a matter of adjustments um, as far as being the kind of hitter that I, that I was using that stand. 
uh, early in my career, I used to have a, you know, a, a stance that strictly pull hitter um, with the Twins, you know, hitting 15 to 20 home runs. And I think one year I still struck out 100 times. So I try to narrow that down over the course of my years of playing. Even with the Angels, I still had pretty much an open stance, a pull hitter, and 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 probably through that time of watching Rock Carew and playing with him for five years mm-hmm. uh, taught me to hit the ball, you know, from line to line. So with that and adjustments that pitchers had made with me made me make adjustments to them. So therefore, um, depends on where I was hitting, what team I was on, and circumstances brought upon that stance. And it, it, I, I, I tell you, um, you go to the drawing board and you look at that and you say, how does he do it? Even when I looked at it, I said, how did I do it? You know, and it was just a number of uh, combinations of adjustments that really, really, really worked for me. Dan, you uh, obviously, everybody remembers Game 3 of the World Series and the home run off of Steve Carlton. Um, everything that you accomplished in baseball, where does that moment rank for you in everything that you had done? Well, naturally, you know, playing in the World Series and winning and hitting a home run in the World Series, too, is always and always will be one of my highlights. And strictly based upon when you said the pitcher, that would be a highlight also. So, uh, yes, that that would be yeah. something that I always will remember. And that's that's a conversation that I always have. And and a lot of times my good friends, and they will always bring that up, And you know, and, and which is a good feeling. You are a team that handled adversity quite well, right? Everybody brings up two separate seven-game losing streaks during that season. What was it about the 83 Orioles that none of that type of stuff affected you guys? Well, we always had somebody, you know, I guess stepping up that as far as being the leader of that day of that game. Uh, we didn't always depend on Eddie. We didn't always depend on Cal or, or Kenny, you know, to really come with big hits and things of that nature. So we had a number of guys, you know, that really uh, did a lot of clutch playing, a clutch hitting, and as a combination of nine players on the field, it took all nine to really, you know, really come through. And and that's what really I saw, you know, in each and every given day, you had to come to play, you had to come to win. And whatever way it was that we needed to win, that's what we did. Um, that was evident. That was clearly the case. You winning the World Series, it was the only one that you would win in your career. What did it mean to you then? And I'm going to ask this oh, question. Dan, I, I want to ask you, yeah. because I brought this up with Al as well, because your path to baseball was a little bit different that's obviously far different than the path that anybody in now in modern times is taking to the game of baseball, but even still right. then was a little bit different having served previously. And, and Al and I were talking about this. Did, do you feel like your path made it mean a little bit more, maybe even to you than it might've to other guys? Well, yes, I, I think, um, over the course of, 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 I guess the game in my career, you look at certain teams, it was always dominant, especially, you know, you say, well, the Yankees, I mean, World Series, they won. And you look at the players that they had, look at the Dodgers, and all of a sudden you look at Boston, and you look at a number of other teams. And, and here it is, you know, certain guys that, you know, they would have would always be there. And they've had three World Series under their belts and things of that nature. And, you know, I played with Rock Aru over his course of career and never made it to a World Series. So mm-hmm. here it is for me. 
been in with the Orioles, and here I am at, at close to the end of my career, winning and playing in a World Series, let's know winning it. So, yes, I mean, the path has always been different for a lot of guys, and but the goal has always been the same. Has has your perspective on it changed over 40 years? Like, have you grown to appreciate it even more over 40 years? Like that? Oh, know? yeah, yeah. We, I'm talking to you because of 1983. Yeah, yeah I get it, <laughs> you know? right? I get it. I mean, like, do, do yeah, you still so, do you still have people that, like, ask, like, hey, are, you're not disco Dan Ford, are you? Like, you don't, do you have that still? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. I still get around. I guess, you know, as far as alumni stuff, I go over to Angel Stadium here when I'm in California and see people and, and, and you know, that name comes up. It's probably with a nickname that probably will always be. And we talk about there, the 79. Oh, yeah, I remember when you were 79. When, right. I said, yeah, yeah, but you haven't. Where did I go after that <laughs> based upon and because of 79? So, you know, that's, that's a, that was the step for me in that nature. So even coming to Baltimore, you know, and, and people always, you know, just, just like you bring that 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 up and um it's always always been you know from that point of 83 on you know a really good feeling a good conversation and i, I don't you know i I, that, I wouldn't change it for the world um coming back here a couple weeks ago and not not just being with the guys which i know would have been special in any circumstance but that atmosphere that night at the ballpark and the way the orioles are playing right now and a completely sold out crowd um, can can you put into words how special that evening was on top of, you know, spending the time with the guys? Well, you know, when we talked about coming and we looked at who was coming and, you know, and some guys, some of the guys didn't make it because they had some illness in the family. But um, really, really special time. And on Friday night, they had the luncheon and it was sold out. I said, man, we are still selling out crowds here. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> I just go to show you. I said, man, look here. And we looked at the guys that, you know, and then and, and, and the day of the event as far as, you know, my MVP, which is Rick Dempsey. Yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he's a character. and He's always been a guy that lights up the team and lights up the fans and just lights up the room when he's in there. And, uh, it, it, you know, and, and everybody else that's, came along and we talk and tell our little stories and, you know, reminisce. And so, yes, yes, it's, it's just, man, a special, special time. Did it feel a little bit like Memorial Stadium that night? Like, you know, it, it's never going to be the Memorial Stadium was such a special place, right? But did, right, it, did the right. atmosphere that night, like, you know, and you went mentioned Rick whipping everybody up with the Orioles chant and did it, did it feel a little bit about like what it felt like to play a Memorial Stadium in the 1980s? Well, like with us, in the stadium, yes, yeah, yes, we uh, that's that's what we was reminiscing, you know, Memorial Stadium play, Memorial Stadium players, Memorial Stadium time, and the World Series in itself was the winning tradition of that era. So yes, I mean, when we stepped out on the field, you look at the stadium, and if you close your eyes a little bit, you just imagine it's still that same feeling, that same place, that same atmosphere as far as Memorial Stadium. And then uh, how about this team here? I don't know how much you, you, you follow. I don't know how much, you know, relationship you have you know, and how much affinity you still feel towards the Orioles over the years. But uh, this is kind of fun, the baseball that's being played in Baltimore right now, Dan. Well, yes, yes. It's, um, you know, I guess a surprise, really. I don't 
I don't know if they put together a team to say, well, this is going to be a winning right. you know, year for us. I know. But overall, I think a lot of guys, though, they're young. A lot of guys have really stepped up to really try to prove themselves. And, you know, but, you know, here we go in these last six weeks of the season. That's where you really think about winning instead of just playing. So that that will make the difference. We'll see exactly who they are, what they are, and hopefully they'll keep it going. Uh, from your lips to God's ears, my friend. May that be the case. Uh, Dan, what, what's life look like for you these days? What are you up to? Oh, man, I, I, you know, I'm 70 years old now, so um, I take it as easy as I can get it. I still have my little horse ranch that I still train and, and do things of that nature. So I'm back and forth from Louisiana to California, you know, doing things of that nature. That's awesome. That, that, that sounds like it's not such a bad life. Uh, that sounds like it's all right. Uh, Dan, oh yeah, easy road, but easy coming. Yeah, Dan, uh, it was it was such a wonderful uh, weekend having you guys back, and it's been so much fun for me reminiscing uh, forty years later on what made that team so special and delivered a championship. May may that forty year drought come to an end, and may there be uh, more people joining your club of Orioles World Series champions here soon. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Disco Dan Ford, 1983 World Series champion, of course, a home run off of Steve Carlton. Appreciate him taking the time for us. And, yeah, even though they've uh, passed the celebration, our plan is to continue uh, doing this uh, until we get to the World Series, hopefully. Uh, other guys that we're still working on, um, but we've had a great summer catching up with the uh, members of the 1983 World Series Orioles. Um, I didn't really get any time. So yesterday we got the news during the show, of course, that J.K. Dobbins was was going to be activated off of PUP, but we didn't, you know, we we had to see what that meant, and we did get our answer. This was apparently coordinated between he and the. What are the odds that John Harbaugh said he was one hundred percent? Real weird how that worked out. Totally fine. So strange. How like could, can you believe that? That it just all worked out that way. That's crazy. What are the odds? Yeah, it's great. I, um, he can earn his money now. I'm glad that this didn't get to that point. You know, the things that we had been talking about in the past couple of weeks, the start finding him, that kind of You know, do the Ravens have to activate him and start finding him? Is there a point at which J.K. Dobbins just says, I'm not going to play for you anymore? Like, I'm very glad that none of those things end up being conversations that we have to have. It doesn't make this a dead issue, though. Like... There's there's still awkwardness here. The way there is for, you know, any other running back, it's just that J.K. Dobbins isn't quite at the level of some of those other running backs. I don't know what it ends up being. I don't know if J.K. Dobbins says, look, I'm going to play, but I'll never play another down for you after this. Like, I'm just going to get to this point. Don't you dare franchise tag me. I don't know if... J.K. Dobbins reads the the tea leaves, and if he gets tagged, has a great season, gets tagged afterwards, he says, "Well, I'm not doing better, so I'm just gonna just gonna have to deal with it." I don't know. I don't know what's next. Those will be problems for future Glenn Clark Radio. For now, the Ravens are a better team with J.K. Dobbins than without him. I think the next question will be if the Ravens are confident that J.K. Dobbins is in game shape and ready for a full workload by week one, what does that mean for Melvin Gordon? There is some real money involved, I think in the neighborhood of a million bucks. 
So I don't think that they just want to release him. But presumably Melvin Gordon is not going to be a guy that's going to be helping you out in special teams. And the guys past your top two running backs kind of have to be special teams guys when you do the math of how a roster is built, which is why Justice Hill... Even it, Keaton Mitchell. Maybe even Keaton Mitchell. Yeah. I still think that's a... It, it's yeah, it's a, a stretch, stretch at the moment. Yeah. But I get it. Like, Keaton Mitchell... If the path got there, he would certainly be a guy who's going to be involved in special teams. So I just wonder, not because I don't think Melvin Gordon couldn't be one of their best backs, but in simple roster construction, I don't think you can carry three running backs that don't have special teams roles. Not impossible. And again, that might be mitigated if they don't feel uber confidence in the workload that J.K. Dobbins is ready to take on as he returns. If they are if they are concerned about that, then it doesn't guarantee that Melvin Gordon has a spot, but it certainly would add to the chances of Melvin Gordon having a spot. Again, roster construction is a difficult thing. Like you only get to have fifty three. So a handful of those guys have to be special teams players. And I just think there's a limit. Like, I think there's a limit to how many wide receivers you can have that aren't special teams players, right? Like, I mean, the top three on this team appear to be guys that won't be special teams guys. How many after that? Like, Nelson Aguilar, is he going to have a special teams role? Right, right. I mean, in like coverage on kickoffs, I guess. Like, that's. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the. Just the way we look at it, we want them obviously to, Duvernay, of course. Yeah, we want them right. to keep like as many DBs, I think, as possible. Well, and so you and could say that at this point, n- name which DB on this team, not name Marlon Humphrey, would be above being a special teamer, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you could say that too. I just, I don't know. I, the Melvin Gordon thing is interesting to me because, it, in the context, I, I don't think it makes a difference in what they're going to do this season. But there was a little bit of real money. It appeared to also be kind of like an insurance policy for what if. The problem is bigger with J.K. Dobbins. And if J.K. Dobbins is just all good now, do they kind of say to themselves, well, we don't need Melvin Gordon. Like, right. we just don't yeah. in roster construction. Um, Unless they want to like have a full competition for the second uh, string running back between Gus and... I mean, they're paying a lot of money to Gus Edwards. Yeah. Like, that that's not a... It's a far bigger problem for them if Gus Edwards isn't definitively their best option as a... Third round, uh, th- uh, third down and goal line back. Just seeing him play on Saturday. Yes, I'm, there is. I do not care remotely about that. That's um, a lot of money to put on the field. Then I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. But he's also yeah, dealt with injuries, and so I can see why they want to make yeah. sure that he's in a, a certain Game shape. shape. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I. To me, I don't see it. Now they might, you know, already in their mind, they might have gone through the map of what the roster looks like, and they might say, "No, we we do have that spot." And again, I would change if they are concerned about how ready J.K. Dobbins is, then they might feel the need, or they might say, "Well, that means that Justice Hill is going to have to play a little bit more." But my gut tells me it makes the path of the roster difficult for Melvin Gordon, just because of the sheer number of players that you're talking about that you'd be carrying a third. You're carrying a third Primary, running back yeah. with no special teams role, unless Melvin Gordon's willing to take on some sort of special teams Keep role. Off coverage, always need him. Don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> All right, when we come back in, uh, I do want to get into the A I T A, M I V A hole. 
That's what I want to know when we come back in. Also, do you want to tell everybody about what's going on at Live Casino and Hotel? Uh, I would love to. I want to tell you about uh, the new uh, Chanel and what they're doing at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Indulge yourself in true luxury this August at Live uh, Casino and Hotel Maryland. One of 20 winners will walk away with the new collection from Chanel, valued at over $40,000 plus $30,000 in other prizes, including a free play of up to $5,000. So from now through August 26th, all Live Casino and Hotel Maryland rewards members will have a chance to earn entries before the drawing on August 26th. For more info, go to maryland.livecasinohotel.com slash promotions. At Adirondack Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, am I the a-hole? Next, GCR. Hike to New Heights. The best view is yours in Washington County. Our iconic scenic overlooks provide some of the most breathtaking vistas in the Mid-Atlantic. Some are very easy walks, some can be driven to, and some are the payoff for a moderate to difficult hike. All are near quaint small towns that offer great dining, shopping, hiking gear, and more. Explore our five national parks for iconic vistas and wineries with breathtaking views. Visit our quaint historic towns and make your stay unforgettable. Learn more at visithagerstown.com. Maryland, be open. America's biggest bike race returns to Maryland Sunday, September 3rd as 120 of the world's best cyclists race the Maryland Cycling Classic presented by United Healthcare. Come enjoy the free fan zones and festival with interactives, food, and drink beginning at noon. Then see the exciting race conclusion from 3 to 5 p.m. in the Inner Harbor. Come be loud, be proud, and let the world hear you. For more information, go to MarylandCyclingClassic.us. Soak up summertime fun in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouth-watering eats, and endless entertainment. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards. Pick crabs by the waterfront. Beat the heat inside a world-class museum and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. You feel that? That's the sound of football coming back. And now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in Vegas. And now you can use my promo code, GlennClark23, to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code GlennClark23. All one word, no spaces, two N's in Glenn. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook sports and that promo code glennclark23 visit superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER i'm michael jan grandy president of aj michaels your carrier energy expert for 44 years save money energy and make your home more comfortable and virus free find us at ajmichaels.com that's ajmichaels.com Maryland drivers, did you know you can save up to 77% on tolls with an EasyPass Maryland discount plan? That's right, 77%. It's never been easier. Pick the plan that's right for you at driveezmd.com. We'll keep you moving. It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. It's a Maryland
picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food, check. Quality of service, check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR. Um, I got into a little bit of a Twitter fight yesterday. The thing happened. I don't want to say I'm proud of it because I don't like getting into Twitter fights. I, I don't know this person. Um, You might remember yesterday on the show. We um we talked about some audio from over the weekend on Root Sports out in Seattle. I believe we even played the audio. Yeah, did you we not? Do it again. I guess if you'd like to, we oh. could play it again. Um, we we played some audio from post game on Saturday night, and that audio was weird. <laughs> it was it was I, I don't know how to describe it. You can listen to it again. These these humans genuinely appear to be like on the verge of tears talking about the Mariners losing to Felix Batista on Felix Hernandez Day. It's super weird. Go ahead. Baseball analyst Ryan Roland Smith. I just hope the Orioles don't like tweet out in the social media say, you know, King Felix oh. gets the win today against the oh. Mariners and don't Thank you many ideas. Come on. We have the real king. That's right. And it is our king, Felix. And we'll have more on uh, the king as he got his crown. What is any of that? Like, what in the world? Again, I get it. Tough game to lose. Your guy throws a nine-inning gem on the day you put a beloved player into the Hall of Fame. I understand. It's, It's a tough game to lose. But what was that? And again, this obsession with this one tweet. That was ever sent. It's just all so bizarre. So I don't know who the first guy is. I apologize. I don't know who the uh, host he of was, the... It, was, don't his know. Was, it said his name. It was Brad Adam. Brad Adam. Yes. Might be a, a swell fella. Like, that's... I, I don't know. This isn't him, is it? <laughs> like, he's not trying to check in to respond to the audio. M- might be a, a great guy. This is weird, but I get it. Everybody has weird moments. The other fella... um, was a former major league pitcher named Ryan Roland Smith. It was never particularly good, but like, you know, somebody would say that about, you know, anybody. He might have had his moments. I'm not sure. Ironically, last week when we were looking for a Seattle person, apparently he was among the names that I gave Griffin and said, well, this is also a Seattle person. You could call him. We ended up having Rick Riz on. We had a very lovely conversation. In hindsight, I think I'm glad it wasn't this person. So... This video gets shared out after the game on Saturday night, and everyone is dunking on these weirdos. Like, dude, what is this? This is weirdo behavior. This is not normal human behavior. And this guy, Ryan Roland Smith, tweets out, a couple of jokes on the Mariners postgame got us living rent-free in Baltimore. Which, again, we start with a bizarre premise, which is them 
crying about Felix Hernandez and Felix Batista. That oh that oh, oh. yeah <laughs> oh. is one of oh. the strangest sounds I've ever heard a human make. Unless he was like, if he was referring to the other guy bringing it up, if like he had been like, "Dude, are you are you really like, <laughs> like then that noise might have made sense." But like the I'm genuinely hurt by this. Oh, don't give them. Oh, so bizarre. Don't give them the idea. Don't. So he tweets that out. And of course, me, like anybody else who enjoys a good S posting, I see it and I retweet it and I say, I mean, you're probably thinking to yourself, where was the joke? But let's be fair, this is definitively as funny as the television program The Big Bang Theory. Now, Please allow me for a second here because whoa, whoa, whoa. Our, friend, our friend Spiro Marikis was very bothered by this. <laughs> I love Spiro. Going to try to get Spiro in here before the Springsteen show. Love Spiro. He's very bothered by me making the comparison because to him, the Big Bang Show, Big Bang, Big Bang Theory is a very funny Big show. Bang show. <laughs> of course, there's nothing funny about this. There's, there's not a joke in there. And he says the Big Bang Theory is funny. To be fair, and I have to be honest about this, I've never watched The Big Bang Theory in my life. Now, here you go. The only basis I have for this is that it, something that I did watch, and I couldn't tell you what it was, came on after a repeat of The Big Bang Theory, and I would see, like, the final, I don't even know what they call it. The last 30 seconds. Uh, like, like the, the thing where they, the, credits, the credits are running or have run. and they, right. they the they, cold they, outro. The cold outro, if you will. Yeah, I don't know, because <laughs> it's the cold open. I have no idea what they call that thing, but I never laughed once. <laughs> like, I never, at any point... Would he see these final 30 seconds of the show and think, eh, I got to take more of a look at this program. Never did a thing for me. And in fairness, it could have been anything. I just had to pick a show. Like, I, I started to say King of Queens. No, don't. I, I definitely, I watched episodes of that show. There was never a, there was never a funny moment. Kevin James. No. He's fantastic. No. And I've dunked on Adam Sandler enough in my life. Like, I didn't need to go back and say than any Adam Sandler movie in the last 30 years. Like, I didn't need to, to do that. So I just picked something, The Big Bang Theory, whatever. I'm glad you didn't pick it out. This guy, the guy, <laughs> Ryan Roland Smith. The, uh, we might need to pull <laughs> that as a sound clip. Oh. We might not okay. need, need to make that more available to ourselves in certain situations. Oh. oh. That guy did not like it. Remember the conversation I had yesterday about fragility in yes. Seattle? I'm like, is it possible there's just more fragility in Seattle than I realized? That yeah, guy. We delved into it. I mean, there probably is. You know, 20 plus I think we're learning years of losing, 30 years of losing. That guy did not care for it. He re- replied, tons of likes on that one. This is where I'm going to get into the am I the a-hole part of this. <laughs> tons of likes on that one. Now, at the moment, I believe it had... Only four likes. I think if anybody has followed me or us on Twitter, you know, I Glenn does it for the likes. Yeah, yeah as you know, <laughs> big into likes. That's what I'm here for. Now, perhaps the the powers that be here would prefer that I cared more about these types of things. <laughs> I just never have, and I never will. I don't care. I'm just gonna do whatever I'm gonna do. I absolutely do not anything. Do not do anything caring about retweets, likes, anything. Again, I have no doubt that that's very frustrating to John Colson, to my bosses at the to CBS. I'm sure they would all prefer that I was doing dynamite, like-driven or data-driven content on Twitter. But it's the I can't do the dumbing down thing. I can't do it where like, um, you know, fit, uh, uh, the Baltimore Orioles are blank for the purpose of trying oh, to get yeah. a ton of. Inter- I just can't. I, I will never be capable of doing that. 
So he says, tons of likes on that one. Now, I had the option. I could have just left it alone. I could have just said, I got better things to do with my day. I don't need to fight with Ryan Roll. I don't even know this guy. But I actually had it in me yesterday. I think I had to kill some time because I had been asked by the, oh, yes, the boys on the afternoon, the afternoon show. show over there to come on with them at 4.45. And I believe this all happened around yeah, like... I'm looking at the tweet now. Like this four, tweet was sent at 4.44. I, I think I just had some time to kill is what happened. And so I'm like, well, I'm sitting here waiting for a phone call. I got it in me. I, I got time. I got time. So he says, tons of likes on that one. And I say, well, perspective is key. You see not a lot of likes. I see, well, it's six times as much as a local TV comedian's career war. I think I'm still on your side. It's a pretty clever I thought it was, I thought, (laughs) I mean, Ryan Roland Smith's career war, (laughs) 0.7. So at the time, my four likes on that tweet. Six times as much as Ryan Roland Smith's career war. And then I threw in the local TV. I realized later that something, he was very bothered by me saying local TV comedian. I, I was just trying to make a joke about him referring to himself as a comedian. Him pretending like they were doing right. some wacky SNL sketch. When there was not a single joke told, it was just bizarro land. So I, he clearly was bothered by that. He responds. Again, Definitely a person who's not fragile. What was your <laughs> war? <laughs> now, I thought about a few different ways I could have gone. I, I, I like the Spanish-American one myself. Like, I thought about different ways that I could go. Um, but I ultimately, I just, and now I had finished the phone call with the, uh, the, the boys on the afternoon show. And I did want to go to the gym. Like, I did, like, want to get my workout in. So I just said, you know what? It also started with the zero. Big of you to try to find common ground. Now the healing can begin. Again, I still think that yeah. I'm being clever I, enough that, like, I'm not the a-hole. I still think that any reasonable person should be able to see how truly silly all of this is. And I've not crossed the line into total dickishness, I don't think, yet. Right. I mean... Hi. This guy. Yeah, I think it was fair. I think. I think... You know, he was starting to cross a line. Yeah, you know, th- this this guy. <laughs> he apparently had nothing better to do with his day <laughs> yesterday than to then start stalking my bio or our bio on Twitter because I share my Twitter account with the show. He started stalking the bio account. Next tweet. Hey, by the way, 1998 called. It wants its glennclarksportsradio.com website back. Come on, man. Give your dedicated five listeners something good to go visit. For the record, if we're up to five. (laughs) Great news, John. We're up to five now. (laughs) Take that out there. We got the big numbers coming in. This guy not only decided to stalk the bio, he then purposefully mangled Right. The uh, name where, of the website. Like I was trying to figure out where he found. No, there is like he okay. he's so bored and so obsessed that he took it and added another word into it so that the, his five followers would then see, you know, whatever website does not exist or something like that, 
and in hopes that he could get those people to dunk on me. You don't even have a working website. Like this, this is way out there, man. <laughs> like this starts going past even like at least Kevin Durant's Twitter creepiness is like kind of funny sometimes. This Indeed. is yeah. bizarro world. I mean, this is something that a 16-year-old would do. Right. And Kevin Durant acknowledges, you like, yeah, I know I'm on Twitter. Like, uh, Correct, gonna, 100%. Like, this is what I'm going to be. Right? I know this is ridiculous, but I want to do this. <laughs> this is, a, he's making something up in hopes to present a new reality to whoever is following him that is now invested in this. God knows what those people are doing with their day to have them click on what is a fake website that he has utterly pulled out of his ass to try to dunk on me. It is weirdo behavior beyond weirdo behavior. Like, it is the epitome of, dude, What you're a, you're a former Major League Baseball player. I have to believe there's a better way for you to be doing spending your time than making up a website to try to present to whoever follows you, I'm better than this guy because, look, this guy's website doesn't even work. Which, again... Not your, not is, your website. You, 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 in order to find out that I had a website, you had to copy it from my bio... And then you just decided to add another word to it. It's to make it, it's so weird. I didn't have to do that with Ryan Roland Smith's career war. I want to make that abundantly clear. I didn't see that his career war was seven and then adjust it to say 0.7. That would be weirdo behavior. I went to his baseball reference and saw his career war was .7 and screenshotted it. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with this now. Now I'm in. Uh, yeah. Now I'm in uncharted territory of like, do do I? Is the guy so far off the deep end? Like, is this guy actually maybe an axe murderer? Like, is he that obsessed? He's gonna find us. I was a little. I gotta be honest with you. This is some weirdo behavior. Again, if you're weirder than Kevin Durant is on Twitter, I, I, like that's got to be the cutoff, right? Like, cause he's he's a fun weird to me. <laughs> this is straight shoot weird. So I'm like, all right, I'll dig in. And I remember the conversation we had yesterday on the show about are people in Sa- Seattle just way more fragile than we realized they were? Here's the next tweet. Me today. Quote, I wonder if there's a fragility thing in Seattle that we just weren't aware of, unquote. The guy we were talking about, quote, no, we do very normal things like copying someone's bio but then purposefully mangling it to make it look like something else. Okay, maybe I'm starting to, like, maybe that one's not funny as much as it's just a unique. You're just pointing it out. It's, It's just an accurate retelling of what occurred here. Guy. And then not he, done. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> not done. The guy's so obsessed with my bio that now he reads over all of the jobs that I have, and he tries to figure out which of them seems the smallest to him. Like it's really weird how he didn't attempt to go after Odyssey or 
ESPN or the Patriot League or any of those things. He picked out Stevenson University, which I want to make very clear. I'm quite proud of my affiliation with Stevenson University. It's an incredible institute of learning. Like, I hope my kids are able to get into Stevenson University if that's what they want to do one day. I'm very proud of it. I put it in my bio because I'm. Pr- it helps me provide for my family. I'm proud of it. This creep, Ryan Roland Smith, keeping it local for you, mate. All the best with your Stevenson Mustangs radio broadcast. I'll be one of the handful tuning in. Yeah, thumbs down. Thumbs down. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> And that what? was and that was in reply to his own tweet, like him promoting. Oh, I did I did see that later. Yeah. At first, I did not see that. Yeah, he was trying to get me to see that he gets to do a game for Peacock, Peacock, right? Because they pull in a local broadcast. Yeah. If for those that don't know, the way the Peacock broadcasts work is they pick a local broadcaster from each team and they let him do it. And I guess he wants me to think that makes him a big network TV star, and that I should show more respect to him. Well, it does. It, yeah. Than to like again. I have worked for ESPN. That doesn't mean I'm an employee of ESPN. Do we understand how this works? And I don't really care. Like, th- this is weirdo behavior no matter who. In fact, honestly, if, if he was an employee of NBC, it would probably be even more weirdo behavior. <laughs> like, it would even be stranger if that were the case. But I, again, I don't... Before yesterday, I had no ill will towards this human. I just wanted to point out that it was... I got, I got there, right? I got there. So... This guy wants me to know that he gets to be on Peacock, which cool. Like, it's a big platform. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to. It's gonna sound like I'm dunking on him. Like, that's that's the best you can do for a Mariners person. Like, I can't. I'm sorry. I know that's that part. That part I am right. Like, yeah, you can say you I am. the line. All right, but like, this dude, is... really? Like, really? Like, is there nobody else? <laughs> Ben McDonald had a career. You should have said, did, uh, who's their... Jim Palmer. When, when the Orioles have been on Peacock, they picked Ben McDonald and Jim Palmer. You should have like, asked them. You should have replied, who did they? Who, who said no that they went to you? Oh, God. I didn't, I, that, that's, I, I'm telling you, that would have been completely yeah. crossing over yeah. into the, I'm just the, I'm just the a-hole. Like, that's who they found was the guy with the, again, career, career, point seven war. Please pull up what current Orioles... Have a better career or a better war this season than this player's career war. I I, I believe, despite his, I believe Ramon Arias has a better war this season than this guy had for his career. Again, that doesn't mean he wasn't a major league baseball player. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have some level of authority about the game that's being played. I'm not trying to to discredit this human's credentials to to be a baseball broadcaster. There are at least twelve. At least 12. So, he wants to dunk on what he perceives to be the smallest of the jobs that I have, which, again, like, I, I whatever, I, I'm not embarrassed by it, which you know because I talk about it constantly. James McCann is point seven. Aaron Hicks, point seven. Michael Bauman, point seven this season. That guy had a career war. Career war. Equal to James McCann this season. Anyway. So then I follow up by saying, me. It's 
kind of weird to cry about which baseball player can be called king and then claim it was a Netflix special. Which, again, was the premise of all, how all of this started. Which is me pointing out, dude, you did something weird on television and then you tried to pretend like you were doing a comedy a bit, show. Yeah. Like, that's weird. Him. You know what's even weirder? You have jobs. I'm not mad. Please don't t- let the newspaper say I was mad. Which, of course, for those of you that uh, are, are internet aficionados, you will know, is one of the greatest tweets of all time from a legendary Twitter poster named Drill. And if you're not familiar with the work of Drill, D-R-I-L, I would just encourage you to dive in. Not everything's a hit, but there, it's just all over the place. And one of his most legendary tweets is, I'm not mad. Please don't let the newspaper say that I was mad. And it's, it's something that in Twitter culture we pull out when someone's being overtly defensive. When someone's being overwhelmingly defensive, we pull out this famous drill tweet, I'm not mad. Please don't let the newspaper say I was mad. He clearly doesn't get it. <laughs> Again, that's fine. You know, maybe he was busy playing baseball. You know, like I, that's the case. So he responds, "Sweet word salad," and I just realized and he I, wins. He won. I, I, yeah. You know he what? Win. You know what? And I had nothing, no other choice but to share the uh, the the meme or the gif of uh, Chris. What, what the hell is it? Is it Chris Kardashian? Is that the mother of the family? Who's the is that? Is that the mother of the Kardashians? Yeah. yeah. Chris Kardashian saying, you're doing amazing, sweetie, which is, of course, another famous Twitter trope. So I asked the question, Griffin. You've seen everything here. Yeah. I have all the facts, I think. I, I understand this is an awkward spot for you because, like, you know, I'm the director of programming here. Maybe I should have presented all this to someone else, but you're what I've got. <laughs> you know, you're on this Twitter account, too. This reflects you. You're right, part yeah. of Glenn Clark Radio. A-I-T-A, am I the asshole? Yeah, okay. it was a very thin line. You came pretty close, but I, I do purposely think... attempted to avoid crossing the line. I was trying to keep it to just some s posting and just a silly fun. Quick shot at his career war, you know. I mean, dude, it's public knowledge, you know. I never mean, like he was going after how many likes I had. <laughs> I don't care about that. I'm gonna guess. That that might have been a little bit more important to him that he wasn't yeah. that good of a baseball player, but I, you know, it's a whole he's thing. Making a good career for himself. What, was he I? Was, be, he should be. Yeah. Was I? Enough. So am I the a hole for I, having pointed out your you weren't good at baseball? I don't think so. I think uh, I think you were. I think uh, you know it was, it was. It looked like it was kind of fun Twitter banner. At least it should have been. And uh, I think he might have gotten a little worked up over it. But you know, as you pointed out, it's just Seattle might have this. Uh, Pitched in parts of five seasons for what it's worth. Pretty good. A couple of them, I mean, truly full seasons. A lot more. And one, I don't know if any, I mean, like for the most part. By the way, I'm actually confused as to why his war is so bad. Oh, he was a reliever, I see. Yeah, I don't know. So one year, have, I mean, in one year, he made 15 starts and pitched to a 3.74 ERA. Dang. That, like, that's, again, it was short. It was to 09. It was, a, he didn't get, he didn't pitch for the whole season. So, you know, but it, that, that was a pretty good year. 3.74 ERA, 1.183 whip. I mean, I'd take that guy for what it's worth. Um, nah, the rest of his seasons weren't that. But, like, none of them were, I don't know. They, I don't know if they were. They were only, he only had one really atrocious season, and then he, he just never really came back. He barely pitched when he came back into the league in Arizona in 2014. 
I don't know why his. I mean, I guess he just didn't do enough. Like he just yeah. never did enough. He wasn't like a high leverage guy, I guess. Yeah, his yeah. his war was just sort of like irrelevant. Yannir Cano's got one point like three this season somehow. Guy had a career point yeah. seven, point seven war for his career. Again, that doesn't mean he didn't accomplish. Some guys don't. Ryan Ripken never made the major leagues, but yet I'd listen to Ryan Ripken's opinion about baseball. I I think he's qualified to talk about the game, despite the fact that he wasn't a particularly good player. So he had a .4 WAR in his first season. Then he had a 2.0, and then a one point or yeah, then a 1.2. So he was pretty doing yeah. Pretty he was good. on track to like be a guy. And then he had a negative 2.6 WAR eee. in his final season, in his eee. final full season. Well, okay. So when Ben McDonald does games for Peacock, what do you think his career WAR was? What was Ben McDonald's career? Because it wasn't overwhelming. Like Ben yeah. McDonald certainly isn't Jim Palmer. Like Let's not pretend. Fifteen. How about 20.8? Okay. How about 20.8 career war for Ben McDonald? So we're talking 20 times, over 20 times. Yes. <laughs> now I am. We are really crossing the line into You know what, I change my yeah, answer. Yeah, right? Yeah, I am. Am I? Did you hear any of that story, Colson? All right, never mind. I, don't, we don't, I just need to know if I'm the asshole or not. Like, I, oh, Colson just is going to assume that it was yeah. But he doesn't know. Well, that's a shame. I, w- I would have liked a second opinion about that. I don't know if you guys have a differing opinion. If you think that I crossed the line, I can, or we I was... can clip this, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have to tell we... the full story. Right? Like, I'm not trying to hide from it. I thought that I was having fun Twitter banter. I thought that it was a fun back and forth, and you know, I, I'm certainly not offended by the guy, you and your five listeners. Like, hey, come on, man. Like, that's just dumb, like Twitter shtick. But I'm gonna go back, like, because you made up a website. <laughs> Because you're a weirdo. Like, that's weirdo behavior. And again, I think all five of my listeners are very offended. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, we can put it out there. I have no problem. The the responses that I was getting did not suggest that I was the a-hole. But, you know, again, who knows? Maybe maybe a deeper dive. Get a rude awakening. Some of my coworkers at Stevenson appreciated me standing up, Mike. Like I have a I great. Mean, we got a couple I don't know how to explain this to you. I have a great job there. <laughs> like I, I love it. Got a couple extra eyes on Stevenson. You know. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> like I, if, if you think you're dunking on it, I got, got bad news for you. Like I love it there, but it is very weird how you didn't mention Odyssey, how you didn't mention any of what you could recognize were the bigger companies that I also work for. You wanted to go after Stevenson University. I, I don't know if that's because Ryan Roland Smith hates student athletes. Like I don't know if that's what it is. I, I don't let the paper say that then. Yeah, don't whatever. I don't, don't hate. Yeah, don't let the newspaper sure say that. Sure, he hates co- collegiate athletics. Dude, that is some. It was bizarre, right? We we're we are we're we're that. I'm not wrong that that's definitely. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. Bizarro. Think, I, think, I think yeah, it was a, that's weirdo a large behavior. Overreaction. It's weirdo stuff yeah. in there. Like making up a website. To try to find someone to dunk on, and then especially after, then after that, you know, when he sends out his own tweet, kind of promoting himself, right? And then like you're, st- you're still so oh, hey. in on this oh, that hey, you're you. like, yeah, like let me get so after I'm that <laughs> that guy in Baltimore. You're both trying to denigrate me and also think that I'm so important that you need to. It's weirdo behavior, man. All I wanted to do was throw out a nest post. All I wanted to do was point out how truly bizarre it is that someone would claim. After some st- just bizarre stuff in a postgame segment, ah, we were doing a wacky, you know, just guys telling jokes. I th- I thought jokes were supposed to be funny. Like I thought, 
Maybe I just don't know how jokes work. Like maybe that's part of the problem is that I don't I just don't understand comedy at that level. And then the way the Mariners lost last night. Oh man. What if you tagged him in the I thought about it for a second. I I didn't. I didn't do it. Because again, I do think that at some point you were getting close to it traipses into yeah. your move past. You definitely are harassing the guy. But man, they blew a five zero lead. Oh god. Jeez. Lost on a walk off bunt. To the Kansas City Royals, Eek, they might they might have been broken, like they were the best team in baseball, like coming into the Orioles series. And then, and then the real King Felix came in. I, it might have broken them. <laughs> like what the? <laughs> oh, it's so bad. All right, I just wanted to get an opinion. Okay. Very good, very cool. good. You can share it if you'd like. I'm fine with All it. All right, <laughs> let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by Superbook. Love me some Superbook, and you guys will love a $250, up to $250, first bet match. Win or lose, whatever your first bet is, up to 250 bucks, it will be matched in free bets from your friends at Superbook, but only if you use the code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-23. GlennClark23 is the code. Got to use it, Superbook.com or the Superbook app. You use that code. You're getting that match. First bet. If your first bet's 10 bucks, win or lose, you get $10 worth of free bets. If it's $225, you get $225 worth of free bets. If it's $6,000, you get $250 worth of free bets. First bet match up to 250 bucks. Win or lose. Glenn Clark 23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K 23 is the code with Superbook. Uh, I guess just speaking of Twitter, uh, so Jay Kuda obviously uh, tweets, sends out a lot of tweets every single day, and I, I use him for inspiration for tidbits often. Uh, and then, obviously, the Orioles made their profile picture, the the Microsoft Paint. Oh, of the, of the yeah, bird. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, which, I like Jay Kuda. I, it's not, as I said this to somebody last night. I think I saw it to uh, Derek from Utah Street Report. They're not all home runs. No, they're not. I a do lot like of, his, a lot I of them, his content. A lot of them are nothing. <laughs> yeah. Enough are solid singles, and there are enough solid singles with the occasional pop. Dude, the one yesterday, it was the one that finally convinced me to hit follow, was the one where he said, um, uh, it's the full season minor league affiliates by team, and it was just a chart, and it had all the names of the major league teams, and then triple A, double A, high A, low A, and they, every column just said, said one. one. Each team has one minor league team for each division. And I just said to myself, <laughs> yeah, all right, that one, that one. Today he put out one that was a Venn diagram of Mike Trout and Walt Weiss with nothing in the middle to differentiate that, that no Mike Trout and Walt Weiss are different people. And I said to myself, I'm glad I followed. It was <laughs> worth it. Uh, he had a good one over the weekend where he kind of prorated. So Matt Olson and Austin, I mean, the Braves have obviously been insane, and Matt Olson and Austin Riley have been ridiculous since the All-Star break. So he kind of prorated their All-Star break, their numbers since the All-Star break. Oh, did you see the Phillies? So Hang on, did you see the Phillies one? The Phillies, uh, oh, like the, his Microsoft Paint? No, 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 no. What did he he said, what every major league team would be called if they were named like the oh, Philadelphia yeah. Phillies. The Baltimore Balties. Balt- yes, and, the Boston Balsies or right, something. Was, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know who has it was like who has the time. I know exactly. Like who, he's, I think his job. Like who's his, employing him? Like I don't, I don't get it. His, but it's work. He's like a st- stat engineer or okay. something. Or he, he, yeah, he got a civil engineering degree. If you say from so. Michigan State. If you say so. 
Um, but so he he prorated uh, Matt Olson and uh, Alston Riley's numbers over the past a month essentially since the All Star break. So uh, for, for a full season, Matt Olson will be on track to have 81 home runs. Oh. 206 RBIs. Uh, Austin Riley 75. Now, I don't know runs. this, but I believe those would probably be records. Those would be. Yeah. And, and Olson Olson with a 450 uh, on base and slugging 785. Austin Riley slugging 748. So just uh, they've been red hot since the All Star break. The Braves are wow. very very good, and that stat kind of shows you just how good they've been. Uh, saw this one yesterday from. I don't know. I don't, my mom sent it to me. It was on the on the Maryland website. Maryland was one of two schools in the entire nation last year to win a bowl game in football, okay. to win a men's tournament game and a women's tournament game. Women's basketball. Sorry. Fortunately, did men not did not win a men's lacrosse tournament game. No, yeah, that's a shame. Fortunately not. Uh, one of two schools one to have done schools. all those. Who things. was the other one? Um, LSU. Not LSU. I'm trying to think of what they didn't do. They might not have won their bowl game. I don't. They maybe did they not go to a. Well, they went to a bowl game. They came on at the end of the season. But I don't know. Who knows who won a bowl game? We, for God's sakes. You should know. I know one team that won a bowl game, Georgia. That's what I know. <laughs> Maryland. I do know Maryland. That's a good point. Um, and I'm going to guess that Georgia did not. I know that uh, TCU won their bowl game, but I don't know if they won. They TCU. 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 How would I know? Yeah. Again, you're asking me to know who won bowl yeah, games. All right, so you want one more Hang on a answer? second. Okay. Hang on a second. Okay. Did Penn State win the Rose Bowl? Penn State. Uh, Penn State is not the answer. Okay. They what did they lose? I don't they, even know if they won the Rose Bowl. I, I think, think they, they did. did win. I think I thought they won yeah. the Rose Bowl. Uh, LSU did win. The, they won the Cheez It Bowl. So oh. I think the so men's they didn't. They team, clearly. They, yeah, the well, we team. know that that has to be the case because we know they team. won the. <laughs> did Iowa? It was not Iowa. Okay. We're doing well here. Yeah. We're doing well it's, here. It's an SEC. Hey, shut up, God, with you. Why can you not keep it in your pants? I don't know. I just, what is it? I, I feel like. Why are you in such a like, rush? I feel like when I feel like it's not great radio. I will when you're ask just you. Going, um, no, that's brilliant radio. That's brilliant. Okay. All right, sorry. Tell that this to Ryan Roland Smith. You think they can do that on the Mariners post game show? Tennessee. Correct. I would have only got. I only got that because you said SEC. Sorry. God. <laughs> I have another one if uh, we can save it. I don't. Okay, so yeah, maybe save it. Okay. Keep it on in your pants every now and then. It all, right. all works. No up. more hints for you ever. It rhymes with spinacy. <laughs> oh, oh. It's, it's, Is it? Huh. God, <laughs> cannot ease yourself. It's the it's like you. Like I know the answer. I've got to tell you what the answer is. All right, sorry, sorry. No more, no more hints. Sometimes I'll tell you. Sometimes I'll say it's time. Give me a hint. Okay. <sighs> Good job, pal. All right, here's what's coming up. Totally too. Hey, you're not an asshole. Okay. Thanks, buddy. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. How about those guys on the afternoon show not understanding why they would want to spend a day having fun <laughs> with their friends? Uh, yeah, they, yeah, that they, sounds they, they, terrible they, they, to me. What do, what do you do I mean, with yeah, your? Me, me what do you do with your time? I was, I was. Uh, yeah, it got I a little. To, well, I mean, like I was I so. Wanna, I'm looking forward to next year. I wanna, I wanna get so dirty. Bizarre. I'm ready to get dirty. What a weird. I don't want to get what happened to Caleb. No, no, it's part of it. Battle scars, baby. Battle <laughs> I mean, scars. That looked. Eh, it's fine. I, you think I, all of us have had that happen? It's just fine. I'm telling you, I feel I don't have that gnarly bruise Caleb this year. Caleb walked in the studio. He could barely walk. And I he feel was... worse this year than I have felt the years where I've had the very gnarly bruises. I do miss the years where we would all send each other bruise. I only got a couple mm-hmm. bruise picks sent to me. It looked like Caleb year. got hit by like a giant paintball. It just yeah. I mean, like it's. <laughs> it looked. But but did he win? <laughs> yeah, he did. What does he it did. feel like to be a champion? You know what I mean? Like what's 
What's the trade-off worth there, pal? You're not willing in dodgeball. You weren't willing to get a little bruise. No, I thought I you was, were. Yeah. I thought you were a champion. Yeah, I, I plenty, thought that was I what that was all about. Battle scars and scrapes. God, now you're like, oh, I don't want to get a bruise. Who are you? Well, I haven't. You're right. I, I thought you were a champion. I am. Yeah, you're right. This is coming up totally tubular tonight. Once I get out there, it changes. You're right. I'll, yeah. I'll, once you're on the field of play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Orioles, Padres continue the series. Jack Flaherty on the mound against Michael Waka. 9.40 on ESPN, not on ESPN2, on Masson2. It's also on MLB Network if you happen to live in the Los Angeles or Milwaukee markets. Masson's got Red Sox Nationals, 7 TBS Yankees Braves, 7.20. Boy, all these networks that, like, uh, you know, back, backloaded Yankees and Red Sox into their season. Kind of rough. Uh, MLB Network Brewers, Dodgers at uh, 10. Uh, the other Women's World Cup semifinal will be overnight. It's 6 a.m. It's a little bit later tomorrow, so maybe if you're up early, you'll be able to watch it between uh, Australia and England. Should be a good one. End, yeah. uh, 6 a.m. tomorrow on Fox. Amazon Prime, New York Liberty, Las Vegas Aces at 9. Tennis Channel for coverage for the Western and Southern Open out in Cincinnati right now. New episode of The Ultimate Fighter tonight at 10 on ESPN and WWE NXT at 8 on USA. Non-sports highlights? Yeah, a few things finally. Hard Knocks, uh, the second oh, right. episode yes, with correct. the Jets. Only Murders, new episode of that. Okay. Oh, I have not Hulu. started yet. I, I think I, I said yet. I'm going to wait like yeah. four episodes in. I Although I don't either. really have anything to watch right now because I watched Jury Duty. Uh, how was it? I enjoyed it a great deal. I, I think it's fun. The way that everybody said it was fun. Like, I, it's not it's not like earth-shattering. Right. It's not a thinking man show. It's an improv show. And like the fact they were able to pull it off yeah. is kind of remarkable. I think everybody knows what the premise of the show is at this point. Like it's kind of remarkable the what they the character they had James Marsden play as himself was a lot of fun. Um I, the guy was perfect. Like it was a fun Taking it show. All seriously, yeah. I, there are things that, like, after it was over, I look back on like, mm, I think you pushed it a little bit. Like, I either you got lucky or the guy just didn't want to talk about. Like, he was willing to just be like, maybe none of this is real. Suspension and, of disbelief. Right. Of. Like, I there's a few things in hindsight that were a bit much, but it was a fun show. I I get why everybody liked it so much. It was a a pleasant watch. And I'm caught up on winning time, so I don't really know. Like tonight, when we have time to kill before the Orioles game starts, I don't know what I'm going to watch. Start only murders. I guess I could start only murders. I, I'm caught up. I on wish what Hard Knocks would come out earlier, so that way. Yeah, I wish I cared. Oh, there uh, isn't there the next um, Untold. Untold. It is Hall of Shame. So it's the steroid. Yeah, I might watch that. Stuff. I might yeah, watch that tonight. So that is the third of the fourth one. Next week is the Swamp. Uh, the, oh, the, the Florida. Gators. Yeah, the one that we all want, and it's yes. only one part. Yeah. I, at least I think maybe what maybe, a maybe, giant maybe it'll be that really is. good. Maybe it'll be really like good. Like how in the like, world did what? Netflix not say like, by the way, we need about eight hours yeah. of that one. Yeah. Jesus. Reinventing Elvis, the '68 comeback uh, documentary. On they Paranormal put that Books. in uh, theaters for a minute so it could get oh, um, Academy Award consideration oh, gotcha. for best documentary. So I, like, if you watch the Elvis movie. Then you you saw a little bit of that, and I think everybody knows the significance of the '68 comeback special. I I am intrigued. I I don't have Paramount Plus, so mm. we'll see. But I, I would watch that. Anything else? Yeah, that is it. Right, it's still more yeah. than typical. Yes. So I appreciate that. All right, very good. Thanks today to Disco Dan Ford. Thanks to Seth Walter from ESPN. Thanks to uh, Evan Washburn. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the. Oh my God, it's so good. Tab at Glenn Clark Radio. Oh, and M M I the a hole. Yes. We'll get all that up yes. At, yes. in that tab. Uh, anything tomorrow? Uh, we'll be catching up with uh, Shanda Brigance. Mm, OJ's wife. Yes. Yeah, they got a, a big event yes. coming up. Stuff and things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks to everybody at Press Box. That's not.
Right. Everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Visit Baltimore, Live Casino, and Hotel Maryland. Glory Days Grill, Dorchester County, the Bowie Bay Sox, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, Superbook, Baltimore Orioles, Birdland Sports, Easy Pass MD, Washington County, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com, the Maryland Cycling Classic. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Birds. Duke sucks.